Welcome to the latest episode of The Claws Corner. Today's guest is a singer, songwriter, arranger, performer, mixer, producer, the founder and dean of Seminary University, and so much more. His latest release is entitled Meltdown. Songs such as Now or Never, Hard Time Dignity, Let It Go, All Unite in Protest make this an instant classic. So without further ado, please welcome the extremely talented and the incredibly versatile Israel Joseph to the Claws Corner. Israel, welcome back to the Claws Corner. How are you? I'm great, Rich. How are you? I am doing very well. I have to say- Great to be hold, here. Great, oh, really I'm great. I'm so glad to have you. Be. You hold the distinct honor of having the longest interview. You and I, I don't, you, I don't know if you remember, you and I spoke for five hours. And I finally said, I have to go. I was getting rigor mortis. I mean, but oh. we, still, we still had so much to talk about. That's what was so great about it. There was not one lull in the conversation. We just kept going and on and on. And unfortunately, I had to leave. And that's why I'm so glad that you reached out to me and said, Rich, I want to be back on the show because I actually broke that up into three parts. And, and you just came out with this, like I mentioned in the intro, Meltdown. Like I listened to it several times. This probably is your best so far. I love this album. I listened to it over like three times in a row. I was running. So I started doing a lot of 5Ks, put yeah, it in my headset, and then bam, take off. That's what it's for, man. It's really an album built to give you the energy to do what you need to do, whatever you're doing. If you're running, you're driving, you're working, you're walking, you're thinking, you're, you know, you're planning your next move. Meltdown's got that energy. It's got that fire to to keep your mind going, to keep your spirit going. It's uplifting, actually. The music is uplifting. It's hardcore, yeah, but it's uplifting, too. It's got a great message, great vocals that always soar up and down, and the music sounds like you're riding on a on a motorcycle sometimes, yeah. you know. It's going 100 miles an hour, which is fun, you know. It's fun. It sounds like you're overtaking other bikes, and that's the way I love music. I love music has a movement. It's actually in classical music too, and in jazz, and in a lot. You talk about of this movement, you know what I mean? Like if you listen to Schubert or or you listen to the Mozart, it's a, it's, a, it's a movement. That's really what they're talking about. The part of the music goes from ten ten to ten 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 ten. ten. That's a different movement, you know. And it really is a movement. And when I write hardcore, I write music. I there's a movement to it. There's a dance to it that I observe and I try to capture it. Yep. So when you're writing the music, do you write the lyrics first and put music to it? Or do you come up with a beat and say, you know, I'm going to put some, some lyrics to this? Uh, the, yeah, second. I always come up with a, a beat. Um, well, actually, it depends on uh, the record you're talking about. If you're talking about Ghetto Folk, yeah. which is a, a couple records back, Ghetto Folk was written on an acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. And I came up with the lyrics and guitar first. And then I wrote the music around it. Uh, <clears throat> the one I released that I didn't put out, uh, the reggae record before Meltdown, uh, was all different style, you know, like sometimes it's the lyrics, sometimes. But Meltdown itself, uh, that was the music first. Um, the beat first, um, the, the basic, you know, I think I wrote one song and I was happy with it, but <clears throat> I kept, I didn't keep that particular one. So there were 13 songs on this record, but the other 12 I wrote, they just kept getting better. They just kept pleasing me, kept uh, sounding really good. So the second song I wrote was a uh, song, second song on the record, which is uh, Crisis. So uh, it's just a matter of creating the, uh, the rhythm first, 
because yeah. I do hear the guitars in my head and I hear what I want to sing, kind of. It just sounds like sounds, doesn't sound like lyrics. It sounds like just, uh, uh, I guess, you know, uh, interpretations of what it's going to be. The guitar as well, <clears throat> but the beat, the rhythm is there. So I can hear crisis. All right, I got the beat. So I write, I write, a, I write a rhythm that has a lot in it. And um, when I'm when I'm pleased with the rhythm, and then I turn to the guitar, mm -hmm. and suddenly something changes when I go to write the guitar because <laughs> I honestly I can't play as good as I think. So the music in my head is like incredible. I wish I could really literally take it and bring it out because then it would be uh, different, even more different. But I think I did a pretty good job. So I hear what I hear and I try to play it on guitar, which I, I did a pretty good job. So when I finally get through the uh, first few passes of the song, I record it because mm -hmm. I don't like uh, writing too long it bores me right yeah so i record it and uh that's so it's you know just to close in the answer it's it's drums guitar uh bass guitar and then a couple days later i'll come back and listen to this track this fresh track here of three or four you know four, three or four uh musical pieces of instruments playing together. And then I'll hear the vocals. So it's just like someone gave me a track, right? Like, hey, it's real, you know, check this, you know, but yeah. it's me, I do this with myself. That's why I like writing fast. So I can do it with myself, I can hear it fresh. So I got smoke a little herb and I'll come back and I'll put on the headphones and it's I instantly hear it's crisis, you know, that's a crisis. And that song in particular reminds me of the old school hardcore, you know, you have like, you know, job bless them, you know, the bad brains, you know, when in 82 when HR's going like, you know, he's like at the mic killing it. It's like that kind of thing, job bless, you know. So I just, um, I, I, I imagine the lyrics after that because the songs inspired the lyrics and every one of the songs on Meltdown are written in that way. Well, I like it like that because like you said, not only does it keep it fresh, but I wrote, I have a self-published book and I was part of a writing group for a while. And I was the only one that came out with the book and everybody kept on saying, oh, it's not good enough. I'm not in like their book. And that's why they didn't come out with theirs. So I, I, they had me teach a class and the, my class was perfection is the death of good. Just get it as good as you can get it and just move on. You're never gonna get it exactly how you want. You're always gonna think of something else. Don't even think about it. Make it as good as you can get it and then move on to the next one. And I love that. Cause like I said, not only does it make it fresh and it sounds great, but if you keep toying with it and changing this, going that, and like, you're never gonna release anything. You're never gonna get anything done. You're gonna keep on concentrating. And then you're gonna get sick of that one song and just say, ah, forget it. So I-, Bam. I yep. And it's the death of a lot of artists. And they used to call that when I was little, paralysis by analysis. Ah, I like that. That's what they used to call it. And I heard that as a kid and I was like, ah, yep. that's what Hendrix didn't want to get caught into. That's what the- the, the guys who transcend just creating music by the notes, transcend that into that other level, those jazz artists, those 
rock castles cast that go into that other level they don't want to be uh, they want to keep creating because paralysis by analysis is a bad thing and <clears throat> it can happen to you and plus my other philosophy is don't be paralyzed by anal by analyzing your song write the song if it makes you feel good leave it alone mm -hmm. move on and save that creativity for the next song and the next song and by the time you're done you'll have a group of 30 songs that you can sit back and pick seven of them that are the best and then or or 15 of them that you need to mix up and combine into something else I'm not saying this is the way i work but i've worked with a lot of other people in this world and i've seen a lot of other ways of working i like working straightforward like a like, all right, y'all in the train, ready? Close that door, let's go. You know, we're ready to be down the track. But I have seen other ways of working, of course. And that is one way of doing things, figuring things out from the bulk of songs you've written. So if you never allow yourself to finish something, that's an issue. That's a psychological issue. That's saying that you don't have the real uh, vision or faith in yourself that you should have. That you should, that you deserve to have, and well, that's exactly, that means just do it. Because you're always going to get laughed at. You always, somebody is always going to say it's not good enough. Yep. Like you said about your book. Yep. But for me, when they say it's not good enough, I say, great. I heard that about the. I heard that about the greatest bands in the world growing up. Mm -hmm. That some people didn't like it. Yeah, and who cares? You just have and who cares? Who, you know, it's, it's okay, okay that you don't like it, you know, but it's also good if you do like it because it's great. It's awesome yeah. music. Well, I can give you a quick example of that. There was this one woman that had the book and she said, she read the first story. Uh, I don't think it's that good. I'm like, all right. And she goes, well, and she's trying to tell me, give me advice. Like, no, I'm all sad. I'm happy with the, what it is. I like it. She read the second story, said the same thing. By the fifth story, she came in. She goes, "Oh my God, this was the best! I couldn't stay up at night. I couldn't sleep at night. I was, I couldn't. This was great. Thank you very much." So I mean, I just kept letting her talk, letting her give all these, you know, criticisms, and I really could care less because I have a thick skin. All the different things I've done, just like you, I've done, you know, stamp comedy, wrote a book, motivational speaking. I was in bands, so there's always going to be people that love you, and there's always going to be people that hate you. I could care. At the, I always say, if you like me, come along for the ride. It's going to be a good time. If not, get out of the way. So that's really the way you should think. Yeah. Uh, not not to their detriment either, but you got to live your life. I only have one life here. You know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. And and, and uh, it would be crazy for me to live my life inhibited by the thoughts of others, which happens when you're young. You know, it happens like in school and stuff. I faced that. I came from a foreign land with no money and I was like a lost, like, like kind of like, you know, behind kind of like, because my family life was messed up, you know, and I couldn't really concentrate. I was always staring into space and stuff. I had a lot of problems with other kids, man. That's for real. That's where all that rise came out of and all that stuff. Those lyrics are, come from a very deep soul, you know, and you got to be able to rise up and do you got to be able to do you just be appreciative of who God made you as and move forward to not Unless you're hurting people, then you're not gonna, you know, that's not what I'm talking about, right? A uh, guy like Ted Bundy, you know, I'm not exactly. talking about feel what you feel because you're, you know, you're a crazy person. But I'm just saying, like, you know, if you if you're if you're living without hurting others, you just want have you just want to have your self-expression, man. Then do you, man. Do you. It makes the world a beautiful place. Well, you know, it's funny because I the perfect example to that with in my life. I do a lot of different things and people say, how do you have the balls to do that? So what do you mean? I said, I don't even think about it. And 99% of the time 
people come up to me is like, oh, I wish I had the balls to do it. I wish I could do that. And I said, most, I tell the people that are always like, like I'm too self-conscious to do this or do that. I get up on stage in front of people. I said, most of the people are wishing that they could do what, what I'm doing, just like with you. I said, and I, I keep trying to tell them, if you have that mentality, so don't try to do what you think people expect of, of them. Do what you expect, and then people will start to follow you. Don't try to like follow them. Do what you want, and you, I'm sure you'll find people that say, "Oh, wow, you like that too." I didn't realize that, and then they'll start to do what you're doing. So I, I've always, luckily, I've had this mentality since a very early age, maybe like 16, 17 years old. So I've been really lucky like that, and I never really cared. And it's done, you know. That's what gives me the courage to. I'm not really afraid of failure. Failure is just uh, I get back up, wipe myself off, and like try something else. And it's just you can only succeed when you have failure. And I will keep telling people that that's a lot of things I talk about in my motivational talk. And I said, unfortunately, like you said, when you're younger, especially kids are more worried about fitting in. I'm like, don't worry about fitting in. Just, you said it perfectly. Just do you. And so they I agree. Come around. Yep. yep. Well, let's talk about this album. Cause like I said, I love this album and not, you wrote, arranged, performed, recorded, mixed, produced. I mean, this is basically an Israel Joseph production. Have you done, did you play all the instruments on here too? Yes, all the instruments and all the mixing, the recording was done by myself, except wow. for one one song, uh, All Unite, which is the opening song on side uh, B. <clears throat> Uh, the bass line was played by Norwood Fisher of Fishbone. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. So All Unite, Fishbone, you know, Norwood is on here. Really excited about that. But yeah, he plays on one song, but everything else is me. Yeah. <laughs> Playing uh, guitar, bass, you know, everything, everything on the record, all the vocals, all the mixing. It was really, but it's not, it's not the, the first one I've done. You know, I have a lot of recordings out there, but I didn't think they were, uh, some of them were excellent. And I, I did put some of them out on a certain level uh, as a idea for other bands to record, like a songwriter, you know? Uh, like, hey, these are ideas for songs. But this one, I this one I really wrote as a record and I think it's a good one. So yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's all me on there, man. Well, I want to talk about that because I, I interview a lot of musicians and most of the musicians tell me the same thing. They said when Spotify, especially they keep saying Spotify wants them to release one song per month instead of a full album. Did you have that kind of issue with them as well? No, I, um, I went with uh, CD baby. Okay. So I released this record online uh, a couple years ago just to draw up some interest before it was actually pressed as a vinyl record. And uh, so, you know, it's all DIY. So uh, it did what it did, uh, but I never got any uh, restrictions from Spotify. Uh, maybe okay. with my new record coming, it's gonna be some restrictions, but uh, no, nothing. Yeah, cause I was thinking, we were talking about, I was talking about this recently with another musician. I said, you have bands with concept albums and if they're releasing one song per month, it's not gonna really mesh with the other songs. They're not gonna get the whole story, the whole concept. And it's a shame because I said, imagine, and I use this as an example. I said, 
Rush was almost dropped from their label in the very beginning because they didn't have any hits. And they said, well, let's go out in a blaze of glory. They wrote 2112, which is a really good concept album, and it took off, and now they are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So if, if they weren't given that chance, if they were saying, well, release one song per month on Spotify, they would probably have been forgotten long by now. So I like the fact that, I mean, I wish pe- these producers or whoever's saying this would remember stories like that because let the artists be themselves and let them do what they, because they know, you know what works better than, you know, what I think what Spotify, whoever's running that is, is, is going to do. Because I mean, like somebody said, they're like, I'd rather re- release an album then 18 months later, live my life, have whole new experiences, and then write from all those experiences. Yeah, but you know what's happening, though? What's that? <laughs> and if I expose the industry right now, a lot of it on a certain level is not really as it seems. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people are... Uh, it's like an organization. Uh, when you're not like me, you, when, see, I'm writing my own songs and recording my own songs and you're getting my own songs. And that's the way it's been even when I was on Epic, you know? Yeah. But a lot of artists have co-writers mm-hmm. or people who are called ghostwriters. And if you can ghostwrite or co-write for an artist, if you get an artist to agree to that, then you can control the level of greatness that artists can achieve mm-hmm. or you can control the level of money that artists can achieve you can give that artist a terrible song that you play a hundred times a day that people fall in love with makes a lot of money or you can give them a great song that you don't play at all mm-hmm. see you can mix it up if you want to yeah. and that's really really kind of what's happening uh with that whole scene they're, yeah. they're really uh you know, they're creating and destroying artists and they, by limiting them to one record, yeah. it limits their liability, first of all. And what it does is it, it kills the writer's hope or the artist's hope to have anything more than one record. So you go in with this mm-hmm. defeatist attitude, like this is my one shot. Yeah. And it used to be that way in the 50s, you know, uh, kind of, but the money wasn't there. So the exploitation wasn't there. And that's what happens. Then you get this exploitation where they're paying you five cents a record and they're making hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars yeah. or millions of dollars in some cases. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it, it's, but five cents a record to some people is acceptable if you can put them in nice makeup and always have them in nice clothing and nice cars, but all those things are charged. That's why you're making only five cents, you know? And you have to make your money on the road. You know, you have to go out and play shows and hope that, you know, they will give you a nice cut. And also you have to sell your merchandise on on the road. So a lot of these, uh, even even local acts have to deal with this in a certain sense, but a lot of acts have to deal with that. And so it, you know, it's an effort to control the artists is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's a shame. And I know it's a lot more, probably a lot more expensive to go on tour now because, you know, just getting the van or whatever you're driving than the gas and the hotels. And if it's an independent artist, some of these people can't afford to do that because they're not having somebody sponsor the tour and putting them travel the world. So you're doing it all on your own with your own money. And 
if, if they're not going to pay you that well, that's it's going to be tough for you to go on tour. Even that's where, like you just said, you make the money because people are buying the tickets, they're buying the merchandise, and it's it's. And then they want to take a they want to take a cut of this merch. Now, the thing is that you know the industry is going to destroy their competition. Mm -hmm. So I represent, and artists like myself represent the outside competition. Yeah. I was on the inside once, but I walked out of it. I was like, you know what, this is cool, but I, this wasn't really what I envisioned, so I walked away. Now I'm on the outside creating music where I'm able to turn it out. They have already set a plan up for that to, to stop that, I would imagine, because that would be a direct competition to them. If you say my record was certainly, uh, you know, everybody wanted my album and they didn't have it. Yeah. That would be a direct competition to them. So they have avenues like uh, distributors. The record stores won't buy what they buy from distributors. You know, they won't buy from the artists. You have to go sell at the shows, but then the shows, you know, they're like, oh, you can only... Uh, there's all kinds of limits for the the average person who just is a talent. Like I'm a talent. I was I, I, and and I and I have a vision, but I can't create my vision and just go, "Hey, here's my vision on the market. Buy it," because there's so many walls built up to block that kind of thing yeah. from happening. And they want it at the cheapest rate possible. When they take it from you, they say, "Hey." You're giving it to us to us for six bucks. We're not buying it for twenty bucks, you know. And they sell it for thirty, or they sell it to you know they buy it for six and sell it for fifteen. And the guy who buys it sells it for thirty, and you end up with, you know, nothing. Yeah, it's it, it's a hard game, man. Today yeah. it's a hard game, and it always was. But meltdown is something I made for me mm -hmm. first, and it was satisfying for me. I needed it. Uh, I don't want to get into that question right now why I needed it, but it was, it's an interesting kind of thing. But I, I definitely needed that record. I'm good. Well, I know a lot of people did too. Oh, good. Well, um, without getting into it, did you find it very therapeutic for you writing this album? I needed that record. Yeah, I needed yeah. Meltdown. Oh, good. Meltdown is a is a force. It's like uh, to me the the movement, the rhythms on that record really have uh, put me in a good place. Uh, I. I listen to a lot of hardcore, but you know, that's a lot of those tapes are old now, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember saying to myself, you know, I need uh, need something new that sounds like that, you know? And in my head, I was writing new things that sound like that. And before Fireburn, you know, I was writing like, uh, that's kind of what Todd and I, I really linked up on because we were both writing hardcore in our, in our brains and he was kind of a little bit ahead of the game with the band you know practicing with them guys but I kept doing that and uh I want to hear that sound it you know I like the pulse of hardcore mm -hmm. I don't think I like so much sometimes what hardcore stands for like what it's actually standing for sometimes which means like you know the whole tough guy thing you know yeah i don't i don't because i i'm a big guy i'm six foot tall but i don't i don't want to be like a tough guy you know that's one way out you know anybody can, can do that you know yeah uh i think hardcore is better when it's more philosophy you know more of like philosophical release of energy you know what i mean like you're trying to uh create music that releases energy that you may have pent up like ah! 
you know, that kind of energy. Yeah. Or you may like, la, 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 like that. You may have that kind of energy too, like yeah. you want to get along. Yeah. But is that kind of, it's that kind of, uh, it's a release valve. And I think that the lyrics and the attitudes should, should kind of reflect the most welcoming vibes. Yeah. Uh, but the most crazy vibes, the most mm -hmm. like, that's the one thing that attracted me to the Bad Brains in the beginning. It's like their vibe, the lyrics, the music as well. But just that they were, they had a great message. They weren't trying to be tough guys. And you fit perfectly in the band. I love Rise. I mean, I love the stuff with HR, but Rise is such a phenomenal album. I love I love that album. Yeah. And, and, and I mean that, you know, there is a difference between like, you know, certain styles and everything and yeah and i don't have any um i don't have any issues with anybody's style or anything i'm just saying that you know for me what i would think i'm my approach is that i would i come a little bit more with the more rasta influence mm -hmm. because yeah i was punk before i became a rasta man the only thing i saw was a punk rock yeah and i and i didn't want to be I was not part of society. I did not fit in, bro. From the time I was a child, I was like, yo, what, what is this place? Who are you people? You know what I mean? Are you serious? Like, when, when I saw Close Encounters as a kid and he was like, who the hell are you people? Yeah. I was like, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Seriously, I was like, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so I felt that from a young man and I always wanted to get away I always wanted to get out and um, when I saw the punks I, I, I immediately was attracted to it but you know when I, when I saw Rastafari uh, something else attracted to me that was deeper attracted me that was deeper Yeah. but I, I think that um, you know it's it's all about freedom of expression, my brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about this because you you, you mentioned that you played you know, all the instruments except for uh, you know the bass player from Fishbone played on one song. But when you go on tour, do you actually have a band that you're going to be touring with? <laughs> you know, when I wrote it and I listened back to it, I thought, this is great, good music. And I love this album, right? And I'm gonna put it out. I never once imagined that it was uh, not easy to play or that there would be people who are, I don't know, just uh, it hit, you know, it's tough to learn or whatever it is. I never imagined that. Uh, yeah. Also thought that, I also forgot kind of, cause you know, I'm, I'm creating music a lot. And then I'm experiencing life and creating music. I live outside of the thing. So I'm not really even listening to music, bro. To be honest, tell you all the honest truth. I'm not really even listening to music. I, I listen to I listen to the stuff I did when I was younger. And uh, one or two things that are around today, but I don't like the sound of the production today. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I just don't like how it sounds. It sounds too slick. I can hear all the computer programs that they use to produce it. 
and I can hear all the auto tune and all the type of in key, like totally ear piercing. Yeah. It's like it's like Disney um on 42nd Street, you know? Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, I love the older albums from the 70s and even something from the 80s with that raw feel. Like the live album sometimes had that raw feel to it. And you could tell that you know, I liked when you heard them make mistakes because they're just playing live and they're not, you know, it's not going to be perfect. But yeah, I, I can't stand when they make it so polished and you know, auto-tune it to death that there's not one ounce of of mistakes in there at all. It's, you know, thousand percent perfection i agree with you yeah it's definitely way too polished i I like more of that raw sound and so did you when since you did everything on this album did you definitely wanted to give it that feel i'm guessing yeah which that's that's what i was yeah attempting to go for i mean this album is recorded i i i use uh just technically speaking for a minute i used a 335 uh, Ibanez guitar, which I ran through a Marshall amp, which I ran the uh, sound collector through direct into uh, the board. Okay, I didn't, okay. And then I ran uh, through a processor, uh, a very minimalist kind of, open gate kind of echo gate kind of thing. Yeah. But no, no distortion. I used the Marshall distortion on this record. The whole record is a Marshall amp. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And a 335 guitar. So it's totally punk at its rawest. There is no Pro Tools on this record. There is no no computer uh, based uh, music uh, program. There uh, is no autotune. There is no cutting and splicing and moving and pasting the songs. There is just straight playthroughs, track by track, the way Prince used to do it, and probably more even raw than he did because he was in huge studios. And this is done with a small uh, track machine. It is a digital track machine though. That's the one part that I wanted it to be digital. I couldn't work in analog. You can't. It's just too. It's just too complicated. It's too too much. You gotta buy all that stuff, and it's just huge. And it's. I would do it in the future, but not now. Yeah. But this is a, a multi-track machine, and I just learned what sound is. And you know what my dream was when I first started producing mixing. It's just that these guys didn't have anything better than this. Mm-hmm. When they were recording those records, the only thing they had better was a room. They don't have any better recording equipment uh, that can, uh, a lot of that punk, a lot of that early punk stuff was recorded with one mic, two mics into like a four track, you know? Yeah. And it sounded excellent. So I I had faith in that, man. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I was going to bring up Prince as well. Not too long ago, I saw a documentary on him there was also an interview where he was talking to Dick Clark on American Bandstand, and I don't know how old he was. He made like he was nineteen. Really, nineteen, yeah. And he goes, and I guess I'm, I want to say Clive Davis. It might have been another big producer. And he goes, I want to produce. He goes, No, I want to produce it myself. No, well, you can't do that. Yes, I can. And he refused to let them produce it. His first album. He goes, I want to produce it myself. 
and he finally got the chance to do it. And, you know, he stood by what he believed in and look, look what happened. He became like a mega superstar. Yeah. Believed Prince, in himself. Yeah. Prince was a huge inspiration to me for doing yeah. that. His first album for you is all him. Mm-hmm. His second album, Prince is him. And then the, the third album and the fourth and fifth is him playing 90% of the instruments. But I think there's some contributions from Des Dickerson and, and Wendy and Lisa and these type. But his first two albums are two of his best records. Mm-hmm. That first album is so, he's a kid, but it's so well written. And you hear the stuff before that called Minneapolis Genius. It's like, wow. That stuff is really great. When he was 16 years old, when he first got the key to the studio, he wrote an album and they, they didn't name what they named it later called Minneapolis Genius. That stuff is great. He was 16. So he was always a genius. Yeah. And he was a great inspiration to me. Uh, writing and recording his own material. Um, whenever I got a, a, a Prince record, it stood out from all the other music I was listening to because it said written, arranged, composed, performed, produced by Prince. Yeah. Now, as I got older, you know, I, I realized a lot of things about how the music industry is and what that really meant. But I never stopped imagining the dream of that. And that's the dream I live. Mm-hmm. I really sit there and write my songs track by track and produce them myself. I don't know. I was never taught any of it. Never taught how to play guitar or taught how to play instruments. I was never taught how to mix or produce. I jumped in the water in the 90s, you know. I just said, you know what, I'm tired of singing. I'm tired of being just the singer, you know. Yeah. And that's great. Some people don't get tired of it, but I got tired of it. I, I heard too much. I learned too much. I saw too much, especially being with the bad brains. I saw too much. I wanted to learn to play those instruments. You know? I just jumped in the water. I had no teacher. I had nothing. And I ended up learning how to mix. And this album... <clears throat> is really a result of that. I think it sounds amazing. It sounds like all the whole hardcore, but it's even like when I listen to the whole the hardcore now and I listen to this, I think, wow, this is this is the next thing. This is the new thing for the kids. You know what I mean? This is the new thing. And, and uh, I'm really proud of it. And I'm really proud of what happened with this. This is a blessing. It's a real, well, uh, real blessing. Yeah, you should be proud of it. The album is, like I mentioned before, phenomenal. I recommend it highly all my viewers right now that are watching go out and buy this album support israel it's great there's not one bad track on it and you know what i love about this because we mentioned some of the titles in the intro there's a lot of thought behind the songs i mean you have you know songs like protest unite so i want to talk about that so i mean obviously the song these songs were written from life experiences or what's going on in the world and uh did you did, like you said, you you wrote the music first and wrote the lyrics to it for the most part. But uh, so I want to pick one song, like the song Protest. What's that about? Well, uh, Protest is uh, like the album is a concept album, Meltdown. You mentioned a concept album. The album is a concept album. It's about the condition of our world mm-hmm. uh, socially, politically, and uh, the climate. Okay, the ice in the north and the south is melting down. Greenland ice caps, Greenland ice fields are melting. That's causing ocean levels to rise. That's causing more precipitation to be in the atmosphere and rain to fall all over the planet and flooding. We know what's happening. We're all living on this world, Earth, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the social 
climate that is resulting because of that. China is getting flooded every year uncontrollably. Now that's affecting the world economy because they are really the manufacturer of a lot of things, right? So this is causing political crisis, uh, social crisis. And that is in turn the social crisis this is causing along with a lot of other things like racism and social, uh, like a, you know, not paying people enough money to live and all these healthcare and all this, that's causing a political crisis, right? And, uh, and no one knows what to do. It's still, we are in the days of Egypt and Moses is telling uh, Pharaoh to let the children go. And Pharaoh is suddenly, as it's written, becomes confused. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what his heart, he doesn't know what kind of decisions to make. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're at right now. So all of this boiled up in me and I was living with the protests. The protests were going on right here down the street from my house, you know, right here on um, Sunset Boulevard, you know. And so I went down and I, I went down to the protests for a few days and I, I, I marched too. you know, I held a sign that said Rastafari is the solution. You know, that was my sign because I really believe that people would just sit down and check it out they would see that but I, uh, I I really thought that although the violence was unnecessary but hey nothing happens in the world history of the world even in Christianity or whatever you want stand on your high horse and say we're holier than thou you know like even in that there was violence jesus went into the temple and threw everything over you know what i mean he was kicking them out he he also uh, he was not a calm dude you know what i mean he was kind of a punk himself but the thing is that i don't i don't approve of that in this time Mm -hmm. bob said it's time for everything you know what I mean? There's a time, I think, I think they made a song of that. It's time for everything. And this time, there's not a time for actually mashing down things. We have to change things. We have to improve things. Yeah. The thing is sick. It's not dead and decaying. It's sick. We need to improve it, right? And so I didn't really check the violence, if there was any. or But what I did check out was the people standing up and really... Uh, voicing their opinion and having a great time in the streets and dancing and no one was fighting. I didn't see any fights. I saw thousands of people gathered with cars parked in the street and no one was fighting. Everyone was dancing and playing music. You could walk from section to section and it'd be a different car or something playing music and people were just saying, we want to be free. And we want to be free from, uh, you know, social uh, inhibitions that keep humanity down and make us feel like we're cattle and not people. And even cattle should be free from feeling like really like they're cattle too. But yeah. that's a whole other conversation. I came back with a feeling that, you know, uh, it should be expressed in a song. And that when I heard the music that night, like I said, I, I wrote that. I wrote and re- recorded. And by the time it was mixed, it was three weeks. Mm-hmm. So I wrote most of the music in the first week. And yeah, and when I came back and I heard protest on the headphones, it just made me want to go, oh, it's like that old punk, you know what I mean? Yes. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, it's like that scene in Terminator in a sense, but. 
<laughs> but but when I heard the music, it just came out of me. It went, let's go to the protest <laughs> down in the street. And I thought, that's it, man. That's how I hear my songs, bro. It just comes to me. It, it like comes out of me. It, it's not, I don't have to think about it. Every song you've ever heard me write sound happen like that. Yeah. I hear the music and that it just, and I hear it like I just, and I started singing it, you know, and I rewind it to the top and I, let's go to the protest. Like the Beatles, you come right in with it. Uh, yeah. uh, Todd Youth alerted me to that. He said, you write like the Beatles. That's... So you always come right in with the chorus. It's awesome. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Just, that feels natural. So you come right in with the chorus, you know, and, uh, and uh, that's the way it is, man. It just felt tough. It felt the music felt tough. It was like, let's go to the protest, baby, right now. You know, yeah. like out in the streets now. Let's go to the bro. Come on, you know. And it just felt like Prince. It felt like a Prince song too, really. To tell you the truth, yeah. uh, a lot of that music I can hear Prince, Prince's influence, but I can hear all the other bad brains, all that stuff. So it's it's cool. It's it, it protest was a great song, right? It came out of that actual protest, bro. And it was yeah. saying that let's go out there and have a good time. And uh, people are talking a lot of stuff, but it's really about people power and earth power. You know, it's about our power together as people. Well, I, I love that message that you're spreading with that because I, I don't know. I mean, like when bad things happen, some people think, oh, it's right to go loot and rob, but that's just going to make it even worse. I like what you're saying. Protest and make change, but there's a way of doing it in a friendly but assertive way instead of just going out there and destroying everything that's just going to make it even worse in so many different ways so you know when, when you're uh you know spreading the message like that I, I think it's great yeah and and i just want to add that people who are looting and destroying you cannot fault humanity for having a breakdown yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna say it's okay for individuals to have uh you know disassociation that's a that's a that's a, a legal and uh term of uh mental health but disassociating is when you or disassociating is when you have a, a loss of your sense of reality and you begin to act absolutely insane now people use that a lot in defense uh in court so it's a recognized human thing to lose your mind. Mm -hmm. And some people lost their minds. They thought maybe it was the end of the world. You know, you have this all through history. You can look back in history and see the scenarios where people think it's the end times and it just happens to be one little town or something. They all went insane. Yeah. So you have to give that to humanity to say, hey, it, it also like things like a crime of passion, you know, like if you walk in on your lover with you know, your girlfriend or your boyfriend, well, in my case, my, my walking on my girlfriend, you know, with, uh, with a guy or so, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Punch him out, punch him out. Well, it was a crime of passion. You lost your mind, you was in the moment, you know, that kind of thing is a defense. So then I look at these looters and I say, okay, don't just look at them like they're, they're opportunists. It's what I don't like. Suddenly, they're opportunists. And this is a class thing. 
because when it happens in in uh, certain other classes, they're disgruntled. See, and when it happens in another class, they're viewed at views as criminals and opportunists. Yeah. So. Uh, Another class, they have problems, so they have woes, really harsh felt, heartfelt woes. The, the wording changes, you know, depending on where you are, what class it is. Yeah. And I think that that's what I'm saying. Like, we can't, but I don't approve of it. I think yeah. that people should practice in the end, people should practice self control. That's what it's about. That's why we're here. We're here to rise to the highest level of self-control that we can have while expressing ourselves and what it becomes then is a deal about empathy you, you have to examine your empathy as a human being in order to pass this test that's why i sang love is the answer because in that. the end yeah in the end it becomes about love in the end it becomes about empathy because if you really want to truly express yourself then you got to know what hurts other people if you want to be a real person or i can express myself and punch people in the face all day right which i don't want to do of course but yeah that's one way of expressing yourself what you what what that's insane so let's that means you have to by default practice a level of empathy what i'm saying is let's make that stronger let's try and really connect with that empathetic human being that way we can all have some fun and i'm talking about politicians and kings and 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 and, and normal people and, and and people in power and people with money and all these people need to connect with that human and this planet would function better it's not a population problem it's a distribution problem yep. well, i love when people say one class is wild and crazy and out of control another class does the same exact thing they're eccentric. <laughs> this is something I've dealt with my whole life. When I do stuff as an artist, I'm crazy. And yeah. when other artists do it, they're, they're artists, they're eccentric. Yeah. So, you know, this is, man, we live in the matrix and they have to control the minds of the people because they don't want, uh, you know, they've already uh, like made up the way things are going to be for the way for a certain look and they don't either want to or know how to change that look into something else or something that can be cohabitating with the original plan they don't if you know what i'm saying i don't i'm speaking kind of vaguely but if you, if you no. listen to what i'm saying really i'm saying something i know i they, get it whoever these controllers are the controllers don't know how or they don't want to create something that allows another look to inhabit the same space as that plant. So that look is always ridiculed as, oh, you're a model. You know, a guy who looks like me, probably be like in another class, be like, oh, that's the greatest, you know, uh, that dude's in the, like, you know, all the magazines, all that, whatever, that dude's well known. He's on, always on the podcast. They always call him because he's like having fun and like, but for me, it's different. It's different. So it's, you know, it's still it's still there, but I think that uh, I don't I don't look at it that way. I'm a human being. I don't look at black and white. Yeah. You know, I do. I, I if I have to, I do. Of course, history. If you gotta talk about, it, I'm not stupid. You know, this is the thing too. You can't be like stupid. You know what I mean? You gotta be able to talk reality. You know what I mean? Like I can't pretend to be stupid. Yeah. Because then that affects me. You know what I mean? That affects my life. But I don't. 
if this stuff didn't exist, I wouldn't even give a hell about it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. not, everybody's a human to me. I've had the best friends. Todd Yuta is my best friend. Mm -hmm. I've, in my life, I've had the best friends of all types of people. I suggest that we get more empathetic. I suggest that we find empathy within ourselves. No matter you want to wear and go out and wear spikes and punk around and go to mosh pit and push people around. The deal is pick them up when they fall down. Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's find that empathy within us. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we're all going through our own little thing. And if we could all just, you know, be kind to each other, it'd be a great world. That's why I love what buddhism says you know basically just treat people the way you want to be treated i mean their, their whole thing is karma if you do something yeah but there's a drawback with that my brother why is that because what if because what if you're a sadist bro? oh yeah that's that's you true know it, you know what a sadist is that is that what it is no man. what if you're a masochist no what if you're a masochist masochist what's the, what's the, who, who's the person that likes to get hit all the time or, or wants to hit sadist right sadist, that's a sadist right, i was right the first time I'm you were sorry. right yeah I, I, what I, if I, what if you're a sadist bro yeah no 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 no. wait a minute that's not right it's masochist what well, if masochist, you're a masochist they want to be hit and they yeah sadist is a person that likes to hit yeah masochist what if you're a hit. masochist yeah well <laughs> so then you go around going hey yeah well, i want to be treated Hit me too. I like it. I like fighting. Some people yeah. are masochists. I was wrong. I'm sorry about that audience. You know, I know you guys are listening, but I haven't thought about this concept in a minute. I mean, I apologize, but a masochist, sadomasochism is what we're talking about. And in reality, uh, there are people who can actually take it away from the bedroom into real life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And really enjoy that kind of thing, getting into, uh, you know, situations and they might not even know that they like it. So what if you like that? What if you're just a person that just likes? What I'm saying is that it, it goes even beyond uh, those concepts today, bro. Those concepts are the fundamentals. And even I think Jesus said that too. Uh, treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat your, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the way he said it. Yeah. That's the way he said it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. But even... What, you know, as we go on and we understand that philosophy has taken over the minds of people, philosophy really is critical thinking. And uh, a lot of people have learned it, whether they know it or not. They've learned it by default through the, through, the, through the society. So they question goodness. They question what is goodness? What is the meaning of good? Good is good for me. Good for me. Good for you. You good for us. What's good, really? <laughs> Well, what good are we talking about here? The overall good, the small good? People feel this already because we're programmed by society. And so they choose, always choose the good for me. Yeah. They always in the end go, hey, what's good for me in the end? I'm not doing it. I'm not altruistic. You know, I can't say the word, but you know the word. I'm not. What's good for me in the end? They're not like altruistic, you know. They're, they're, they're in it for themselves. And that's because they give us so little money to work for and so little future to think of. And you retire at 65 and you're going to die at 70. That people have no love. They have no time for love. They feel like I'm, I want to take everything I can before I go. And this is the fault of society. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so they there there is genuinely not a godliness in society right now. There's not a and there's there seems like there's no use for God because God holds you back and uh, you know you're stupid when you deal with God because you're not like you know and what they're talking about is philosophical. They're trying to say, Oh, you're not philosophical when you deal with God. Yeah. Uh, if you deal with God and you're philosophical, you'll have to ask yourself, well, if there is a God, then uh, why is there evil in the world? You know, this is the big philos this is the big question that they taught society to ask themselves but they didn't teach them hey that's philosophy you know you're learning you're learning like the basic philosophy they just gave it to them like the snake gave eve the fruit you know but yeah. men have people have taken that fruit and they said oh well that's true so they do what they want to do and that's good for the controllers because the controllers gave them that for a reason because if you don't believe in god and you can go out and kill everything you want to you can you can allow millions of animals to be killed every year billions just for food you can allow uh militaries to do things you can allow uh presidents to get elected that are like fighting and crazy and like absolutely racist and mad and you can allow them to go and be a president for four years and run a whole entire uh, hit on our capital, destroying the entire thing mm -hmm. and looking to kill me. You can allow all of that if you just believe there is no real truth. And uh, if God was real, then why would he allow it? Uh, they've taught people the wrong thing. Uh, the real side of it was, yeah, God is you. God is real, but God is inside of you. And you have to turn it on to be God or else you will be the devil and you will inherit or whatever word you want to use, you will inherit a evil world. And this is why you think God doesn't exist because you haven't acted in yourself. You haven't done the part. And then they say, oh, it's not me. You're supposed to confess Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And I said, well, there you go. That's why you're wrong. Jesus never said that. Yeah. You, know, you know, that's why you're wrong. Well, I, I know I know people used to always say they used to go out and do things. Like I'll give an example. There's this one girl. She'd go. She always talked about how religious she was, and she'd say uh, she'd go go out drinking, smoking, having sex with all these different guys. And I said, "Well, I thought you know you were really religious." She goes, "Well, I go to church on Sunday." So she thought like she could do whatever she wants Monday through Saturday. Then Sunday, as long as she went there for an hour and said, "God, I love you," it was all right to, for her behavior Monday through Saturday. I'm ashamed to say, but isn't that what, what I discovered as a kid, why I left Christianity as, as a formal thing in the West, Western Christianity, that's what it's all about. But the whole yeah. thing is like that. That's why I left. You can, I figured out, because I started asking myself as a child when I watched all those gangster movies, that's the first thing I started asking myself, how come these guys are going to church? Because I love, I was really like a kid all about the Bible. Know what I mean, I read the Bible. I really felt like, I don't know, maybe I had a Jesus experience as a kid. I don't know. Maybe I had one of those experiences that the people have when they go to Israel, you know, and I had it as a child for some reason, because maybe my grandmother made me read it at a very young age. She taught me how to read. The time I got to school, I already knew how to read big, huge words. Yeah. But I was wondering, why are these guys going to church? That's not right. They should be repenting. The preacher should tell them. But that's before I really was old enough in my teens to understand what was really going on. Paul allows that. He taught a different religion than Jesus. Jesus taught in the four gospels a religion of change. He would change into a new creature. He would become something higher than you were before. 
and you would have faith that you could do it and your faith would make you whole. That's what he said. Every time people got healed, they're like, master, thank you. He was like, I, you know, I'm afraid for new, new speak. He was like, I didn't do anything. Your faith made you whole. And that's old speak. Your faith makes you whole. And that means you did it. Not me. I didn't do nothing. You did it. And he also said, I can do nothing of myself. But if he that only of him that sent me, I can't do nothing of myself. Yeah. So this is you. What Paul did was he turned it into, it's not you. It's some mystical force that you can go to every time you sin and say, hey, I'll pay you a dollar and I'll press the button and shake the little shaker and we're good, right? Yeah, great. We get out of here. That's what Paul taught. And so you have Christianity doing that, telling, telling people to come here and pay a dollar, pay 20 bucks. I'll tell you that by the blood of Jesus, you're forgiven, which is absolutely unbiblical there's nothing in the bible that says that or even yeah. a little like i don't even know how that what that is by yeah. the blood of jesus you're forgiven and and then uh you're gone that's it and then you can go back out and murder literally murder people yeah. like they used to throughout history like be a be a gangster be a murderer and then on sunday if you come to church and you go chris you know i've Christ, you know, they say you're all good. So they're using it to run a ill system, man. They're using it to fill the prisons. They've twisted it into a philosophy that is anti-Christ. If Christ came back today, he would be horrified. He would want to disassociate himself with Christianity at the fullest extent. In fact, he said those words in the book. He said, when I return, there will be many that say to me, Lord, we built temples in your name. We built churches, whatever. We built places to pray. We drove demons out in your name. We did all these wonderful works. And he will say, get away from me. I don't recognize you. And I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't have any place for you. Because it was only about their own glorification. They were only trying to make themselves look great and cursing other people in order to do so. So in order to make yourself look great, you have to make others look small. Mm -hmm. So they destroy the lives of other people in order by taking their money, by fooling them, by creating idiots out of them, by not teaching the real gospel, by not teaching the real knowledge of what really is going on, by teaching about a man hanging on a cross. They are fooling the people and he knows and he said this would happen so those exact people he said he would reject them he would say are you get away from me that's really literally what the words are so you know they're gonna they're gonna try man but in the end the universe is going to provide the voice that will be the counterbalance to all of that and we're looking for now what i wanted to say was my personal opinion and what I told you off the air, all the things that have happened to me, especially when I was younger, I definitely believe in God, but I think religion, like we talked about different, the Catholicism, Protestants, it was man-made to create order. Just like, the, I think like, I mean, there are all these stories, I think they're more parables than they are actual events because they want people, I mean, like I said, I definitely believe there's a God, I think, but 
like you said, I, I'll give you an example. I grew up Protestant. I went to a Catholic church as a field trip when we were in Sunday school. They passed the plate around and they went there. The woman's looking at it. She goes, oh, we didn't get enough money. We're going to pass it around again. I said, whoa, wait a minute. I thought it was yeah. a joke. And yeah, they actually they do that. Yeah. So I said that you didn't get enough money. You need to pass it around again. People are like, oh, my God. And they think that because if they give a 20, they have a, a you know, the easy pass to heaven instead of like a dollar. It's just it's yeah. sad how they're what they're doing to some of these people that are so easily led and just want that forgiveness and, and salvation. When they're like, oh, if I pay for it, I'll get it. And then they think they can do whatever they want the rest of the week. Yeah, uh, That's what's going on. And can't do that with God. I mean, that's like you can't do that with the person in that book. And you can't do that with the universe or any creature out there. If you go out and start killing bears, next there's going to be a moment, no matter how much you pray to Jesus, and when you walk in that forest, those bears are going to go, here he comes again. <laughs> and then there's going to be another day, you're going to leave on a Sunday, from saying prayers and when you walk in that forest you're going to turn around and there's going to be a bear right behind you like this what are you doing here and you're not going to know what to do <laughs> and that's the problem with that even nature doesn't agree with that yeah right you can't you can't go ahead and destroy everything and then go out in the world and expect because you praise a god that everything's going to be okay even god doesn't agree with that because that's like molech hail you know the problem is bro People haven't read the four gospels in their entirety. Mm -hmm. They haven't. They listen to their preacher talk about one or two or three lines every Sunday, and he talks an hour, he or she talks an hour about it. Yeah. And they they pay money and they leave. Mm -hmm. They said, Oh, it's good church. They have never read from Matthew 1 to the end of John, the whole thing, but book after book. It's not a story. Every book has the same story, but a slightly different version. They've never read it. They've never read what he was really about. If they did, they wouldn't be in those churches. That's yeah. the last place they would be. Well, the other thing, too, is I used to tell people, I said, why, if God's all-knowing, omniscient, He's everywhere. He hears everything, sees everything. Why do you have to go to this building at 10 o'clock every Sunday to tell him how much you love him and how much you want to be there for him? And why can't you just do it any time of the day? Oh, no, you can't do that. I said, why not? <laughs> the, the, you, so just because you go to a building with a cross on it, that makes you a much better person than me. I've had these debates with people all, and nobody has a good answer. I got to tell you a funny story about this. There was a the good answer is they're bamboozled. Yes, exactly. That's the good answer. They're bamboozled by history and by swords and by weapons at their necks going, either you do this or you die. And they're, they're ancestor after ancestor, uh, down to the, today, they're just bamboozled by the fact that this church has taken over the land and taken over the power. It says, if you don't come here, you're going to hell. And they never read the Bible. So they're bamboozled. They're fooled and they're afraid. It's a real live horror movie running that they're afraid some God is going to come out and tear them down into the bowels of the earth and go to hell, like in those movies. They think that's what's in the Bible. And so they run to those churches. I don't blame them. They're afraid. Yep. But when I realized that that's what they thought, 
I felt, because I never believed that. I, because maybe I read the Bible, I never believed that, bro. I never yeah. understood. I never, also never had faith in, in, in the kind of God that they have faith in. Once I was a young kid and I realized that prayers aren't answered. They're not a lottery, bro. You don't pray and you say, I grew up poor. Mm-hmm. I prayed at Christmas for toys. I didn't get them. Why? Prayers don't get answered. And then I realized that Jesus couldn't get his prayers answered. He prayed not to be crucified. He prayed at times where he couldn't get what he wanted, yet others got what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the world was like that, that sometimes you could cry blood, but you're not going to get it. You're going to have to go through it. And as a kid, I stood up and I went, that's what this book says. I was six, seven years old. I knew that. Yeah. Ten, I knew that. You sometimes you have to, you have to, and then the law of the Nazarene in Numbers chapter six says whatever he can get by his own hand, whatever he can take with his hands, not whatever he can sit there and go, oh, please give to me. Take it, get up and live. Yes. This is what I read in Numbers chapter six. And so I got up and lived. And then I listened to Bob Marley and he said, wake up and live now, wake up and live. So I woke up and lived. But I didn't realize that everyone didn't know this until I was in my teens. I didn't realize people didn't read the Bible. I didn't realize people didn't have, I didn't realize. And when I, it's shocking to think that they believed as much as they did. But now people have gone the other way. People have gone without God. Yeah, that's going to be the destruction of society because what God is is not just the mind of the universe uh, that that is feeding life and continuing life in an orderly fashion on a molecular level, on a DNA level, but it is also the accumulation of knowledge of humanity, of the mistakes and the, and the things we've accomplished and the routes we've gone. Yeah. And people think they're fresh today and they can do whatever they want because they're fresh and they're, nobody can tell them anything from the past because they're going to determine their own future. But the one thing they don't realize until they're 40, 50 years old is that humans are the same we've always been. And if you don't study that, you never realize it. If you don't read the past, then you'll never realize it. But human beings talked and act and thought the same way for thousands of years. We are not different. We, if you brought a person from 2000 years ago today, it would take about a week to get used to the cars and he'd be disoriented. But as soon as he got used to it, he'd probably be smarter than you. Mm-hmm. He'd have his game on, he or she would have their game on straight up. Like I know what's going on because we are human beings. We're not uh, less formed a thousand years ago than we are now. Still the same thing, still the same brain. Yeah. So uh, I think that people, need to understand that God can't be killed no matter how much you want to kill God. Because if you kill God, you kill the past. And if you kill the past, you go back to the caves. Yeah. Because if you kill the past, you you start killing education. And you start killing cumulative knowledge. I'm not talking about religion. Religion should be uh, restricted on a certain level to those who want to do it. But God and uh, spirituality and understanding rules and order, that should never be taken off the table because it rises a person up from a low thinking to a high thinking. 
that way you can keep accomplishing and keeping people warm. The human race needs to keep warm. We need to eat, uh, bathe, and keep warm. And that's really what we're about. Okay? Yep. And if you don't know how to keep warm, light a fire, you're done. If you don't know how to bathe, you're done. If you don't know how to uh, eat, you're done. And those things take knowledge. You can't just be a wild person and figure out, you know, how to how to do things. Fire takes knowledge. People people learned over a long time how to create fire. It doesn't just come out of, yeah, you can go learn it on YouTube and you can remember it for maybe a generation, but give it two generations, three generations, you will forget and then you will never create fire. Yeah. Well, I think that's what you understand. You understand what I'm saying, though, brother? No, I definitely do, and I agree thousand percent with what you're saying and i think the biggest problem is what you just said i think lack of knowledge because we have the best technology we've ever had and unfortunately i think it's making people dumber than they've ever been i think it's making people lazy lazier and an example would be they did a, some research they said people don't really retain as much information as they used to because they feel like they don't have to it's like well, do you remember this? No, I'll just look it up on Google. So nobody and the people don't even know how to do cursive handwriting anymore. It's just that it seems like all this technology is dumbing us down. And then it's even worse because now instead of making the underachievers rise up to the overachievers, they're trying to dumb down the overachievers so the underachievers don't feel as bad. It's just a great observation. Cycle. Yeah. Great observation. It's a sick cycle. And I know what the end result is. Slavery for all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. It's definitely not good. And it's, That's the end result, man. Every man will be a slave. Every woman will be a slave. They will not be educated. They will not know how to cook. They will not know how to clean. They will not know how to do anything for themselves but drive to work and type on a keyboard and go home. Yeah. And that's it. And get drunk or party. And that will be restricted too. And then they will turn it into some kind of like uh, battery-operated system where you're a battery and you just go into a thing and mm, all day long until you're drained out and you go, oh. you go back. Mm. Now there's societies like that all over the world operating right now. Mm. And that's what they're trying to do to the good old US of A. Man. Can't really allow that kind of thing. This is like crazy. We have to, we have to remain free. And a lot of people think the answer is conservatism and they're wrong. Conservative, conservatives, now this is my personal view, but conservatism is the issue. They are the ones who are into small government, which deregulates everything, mm -hmm. which means it takes away the power from the, the, the government to regulate the states, how the states behave. So the states then can have companies pay people low wages, work them however long hours, the same stuff we had going on before the government took control during Jim Crow uh, will be happening again. And the only reason Jim Crow stopped is because the government grew and said, hey, you can't behave that way. But yeah. they think conservatism wants small government. Well, to me, that just transcribes into they want these states to have the ability to exploit people, maybe not on a racial basis anymore. But on the basis of are you even have you have intellect? Can you think? And if you can't, then you're going to be a slave. Work slowly. Three, four, five jobs already happened. Yeah. So I think that 
this is really a problem and AI is adding to that problem mm -hmm. because it's then going to tell the people not only are, can you be dumb and not know anything at all or not know how to do anything and, and imagine you can just go on YouTube and learn it at the last second. We're going to keep you there. We're also going to introduce AI, which is going to do everything for you. Yes. Things you can't do. And so now you're at least going to, you know, you're going to have no power. You're actually going to be, you, you, you're going to be drained of your power completely because not only are you going to made to feel, you, you made to feel worthless, we're going to give you something that's going to be your worth. Mm -hmm. You look at it, it's not going to, it's not going to do what you do, but it's going to be better than you. And, and, and it's going to be happy to work for you. And it's going to be happy to, to serve you. And so you will be completely incapacitated. And yeah. this is how people are not thinking. People are not clear enough. They haven't picked their head up out of the water enough to go, ah, ah, to breathe, to even think like they're just swimming in that water, drowning and blah, like, you know, and they're not thinking, hey, what does this all mean? And so this is what's happening. And they're making meat puppets out of people. Mm -hmm. And so that's what this record is trying to fight against. The yeah. sound of this album is trying to wake up meat puppets and then feed people who are already awake with the needed energy that is needed in music and needed right now in art and culture because it's all going to the Disney type thing where everything is super produced. I noticed it in the 90s. I noticed it in the 90s and I never stopped noticing it. The yes. minute Disney took over, everything went super produced and it's never stopped. And that's all styles. And I just think it's it's a way of dumbing people down. If you can go into a studio and be like, I want to be the yeah. and then like all of a sudden, <laughs> I want to be the perfect start at you. Then okay, that's the voice. Next, start at you ever see. Start at you ever see. What is that? That's the computer. Oh, great. Let's record that. And then you put that out and the person can't even go on the road because they can't sing. And when they do go on the road, they lip syncing. This is killing art, people. Yeah, yeah we'll go, look at I me mean, back, as you said, it was late 80s, early 90s, Millie Vanilli. <laughs> when they're like, well, they have to look, but they can't sing. They can barely speak English. So they had these two older white guys doing all the vocals. And then they got caught actually in my hometown in Connecticut. They got caught and one of the guys in Millie Vanilli actually killed himself because he tried to record an album by himself. He couldn't got couldn't get picked up and he was so depressed he ended up taking his own life. So it's yeah, I agree with you. But you know what times. people you know what people don't even look at in that story though? What? That they were not the only artists that were doing that and that's what really killed them. Yeah. Not that they got exposed. But the fact that they, they were singled out as the basically the only artists that were doing it. If you look at that, after that, all that dance music stuff went bye-bye and rock and roll kind of came to the forefront, grunge. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. before that, it was all about, you know, dance music and 
Yeah. And that was going on all through that scene. Mm -hmm. Young kids that couldn't sing or couldn't do anything like, like, you know, get that voice together would have a 40 year old woman singing the vocals. Yeah. You know, uh, another example is uh, Marky, oh, no, I don't want to say who it is. It's, uh, Wait, I know uh, one of, one, uh, there's another song that was has a very strong woman's vocal on it from that era. And uh, the video, when you look at it, is a young girl singing that part. Uh, and the dude is rapping on it. I forget what it is, but I don't want to say it's Mark. It's not Marky Mark. It's another, it's another dude like that. Okay. Um, type type of style. And and um it's not it's not that girl in the video, but yet she's the one that's on the record cover and everything. Because that is what was happening even in rock and roll that was happening a lot of times because you would have what, what are called songwriters. Yeah. And the songwriter would sound better than the, the artist. That's what happened with Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley had a black man named uh, Otis Blackwell writing all his songs. And Otis Blackwell would write, I said, one for the money, two for the show. Three to get ready now, go get them, don't you? And he would sing it in the Otis Blackwell style. Mm -hmm. But Otis Blackwell couldn't get signed because of the way he looked. Yeah. He was dark skinned and he couldn't, it was it was in the 50s. He wasn't getting signed. Yeah. Elvis Presley took those songs and sang them like Otis Blackwell. That's a huge story. So he would listen to the song. Um baby. And he would say, all right, give me the mic. And he would imitate Otis Blackwell. And that's Elvis Presley, man. So that's been going on from the foundation in yeah. some variation. Either the artist is singing actually, or you get the artist to imitate the singer. Now, yeah. Millie Vanilli must have wondered, why are we being singled out? Uh, to me, I, I, was, I was young and I thought, Man, this is this is silly. I never, I didn't really listen to that style of music. I know a lot of people did. I know it was a multi-million-dollar hit, but I didn't, I didn't listen to that style of music. Yeah. And so yeah. to me, it was just like, what's going on? You know, what what is this? Um, but uh, I felt bad for them for a while, but not. You know, it is what it is, man. It, you know, music is a horrible industry. Some people take the fall to end the in, to end the style of music. You know, you know the same thing happened with the Bee Gees and the different variations. Bee Gees took Bee Gees took the fall. They literally took the fall to end disco. Yeah, unfortunately, because like we yeah. you and I were talking about off the air. Like I was, I've always been a huge Bee Gees fan, and I think Barry Gibb is a genius. And he wrote so many hit singles for not only the Bee Gees, but for other artists. And as I sent you, I said he was second. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records. is only second to McCartney and Lennon. And it's just that he writes so many great songs. But yeah, I remember because I love the old stuff too. Like Gotta Get a Message to You, Massachusetts, all those great songs. And then when Saturday Night Fever soundtrack came out, everybody started trashing it. You know, no, they loved them at first. And then it was like three years later, they were having all these burning record parties and things like that. So why? That was all, I hate to say it, man, but look, man, I'm going to be real because I am, uh, you know, I'm, I lived in that era. Man. So did you. And you know, a lot of that stuff was rooted in racism and disco yeah. was considered a black music. Yeah. Gay music, black music, the inner city music. And that's what that was all about, man. 
it was just pure, the same thing happened. The same people back then are the same type of people today for Donald Trump, whether they understand their, their attitude towards race and society or not. A lot of them don't because they just raise that way. They think, are you crazy? I'm not, I'm not that way. But if they weren't raised that way and they step back and see, they would understand that there's that cycle, man. Every time uh, there's a type of uh, movement like, you know, disco. For All right, look, it's the blues. Let's start. Let's think about music alone and go through history. And okay. tell me where I'm wrong. Let's start with the blues. When the Black people started playing the blues at the turn of the last century, what did they call that music? What? Race music. Oh, yeah. The devil's music. Yep. Am I lying? No, you're not. I, I forgot about that, okay. but I do remember. I'm not lying. Yeah, you're not but lying. When minstrels, white guys painted their faces and started singing that music, then what did they call it? Good music. Mm. Good music. When Elvis started singing, uh, you know, Hound Dog and different hits written by black acts before him, uh, what they call it? Good music. Okay, let's let's move on. Rock and roll comes along. Little Richard, Chuck Berry. By this time, blacks are getting a little bit more notoriety, but they still cannot eat in the dining halls with the whites, and they still cannot enter the hotels. Uh, what do they say about rock and roll? That's the devil's music. Mm -hmm. Stop me when I'm lying, because people could say you're right. Man. You stop me when I'm lying, bro. I'll keep going because you're not lying yet. <laughs> they said that's the devil's music. But then the British invasion happened. Mm -hmm. Everybody playing versions of the songs that were written by the blues artists and some of the rock and roll artists. What did they say about the music then? With it's the fantastic. Music. Yes, good music. Fantastic. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. It's original. Absolutely well-written and original stuff coming out yeah. of England. And yeah. the English guys are going, are you mad? I'm playing the songs of the bluesmen, man. American blues guys is what we're playing. Mm -hmm. My name's, my name's, uh, my name's uh, we're from the Rolling Stones. We're playing all the blues guys. Mm -hmm. And the Americans are going, you're a genius. Well, what's yeah. up? We're going to tell you blues guys on the road. We're not going to cover that. We're going to cover you. Okay. So that, am I lying? Okay. No, no. But then you get Jimi Hendrix comes along and basically in one man, from writing soul music and reconstructing the soul crowd because he wrote a lot of those hits for those soul acts before he became the rock and roll icon he is. People don't know he wrote for Sam and Dave. He played with Little Richard. He hooked up the whole soul circuit. He played the whole, what was called the Chitlin circuit. Mm -hmm. He hooked them all up. Then he turned to rock and roll and went to England. And basically in one man invented numerous styles from pure rock to metal to psychedelic uh you know there's even some uh different types of things going on uh what do they say about him he's a freak he's a he's a show-off he's a showman mm -hmm. he's not a genius he's a showman you have to fight for Jimi hendrix to get him to be with the other guitar players Eric Clapton and all these players. Those are players. Those are guitar players. Yeah. But Jimi Hendrix, you know, he's in a class by himself. You know, so 
kind of like the show. You know? This is the attitude. Okay, cool. So everybody else that comes along after Jimi Hendrix is great, though. Uh, even the guy who actually made a career kind of imitating him, who was who? Who was I don't it? even have to say who it was. You know who it was, man. He wore a hat, man. He wore I just like Jimmy. Come on, man. 1970s. My God, my mind's going blank on this one. As soon Blues as soon, player. As soon as you say it, we're happy. Blues guitar player. All right, so look. The thing is that you had a lot of guitar players come along to get a lot of credit after that. Yeah. Okay, bam. Now, Blacks invented R&B. Mm-hmm. Coming up with some R&B in the 70s. Disco and R&B. It's destroyed. That's, what, that's part of what we're talking about. So yeah. am I lying so far? So it's destroyed. Oh. And then in the 80s, you have acts like, or you have acts like uh, all, the, all, the, all the singing acts. All the, oh, like New Kids on the Block in New Kids on the Block and all that stuff, right? Coming back with all of the stuff that was happening back then. So that, then it was all accepted. So New Kids on the Block in, in sync and all that. It was all accepted then. Yeah, yeah. Then you have Brandy coming out and singing the way she's singing with that low key kind of. And people say, oh, she's amazing. She's amazing. But then she fades and everybody comes along after that singing soul until this day sounding like Brandy. Right? And Brandy is nowhere to be found. So look at the bad brains, right? Mm-hmm. So. The whole history is steeped in whatever comes from the inner city is good, but it's not going to be what it is. We're going to it and turn it into something that's palpable. And that usually means changing even what it looks like. Yeah. So, so that has worked. And what I, that whole history I just went through, there is no one that will be able to argue with that. And that is the case and there's a case to be made that there's an effort to destroy when uh when that that type of thing is created and 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 then others don't want to see those who create that created and that that's i've dealt with that a lot i think i'm dealing with that right now with uh i thought honestly there would be more interest in this record when it came out you know this record meltdown is one of the best hardcore records in a long time yeah, I agree and, with you. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and I and I and I wonder where is the hardcore community on it, you know? Um, hopefully, about hopefully that. word of mouth will, you know, take take effect and it'll start to spread. Maybe it'll take a little bit like be like a slow burn, it'll build and build and then Well, it's been out for two years, you know, and I wonder uh, about that. I, I wonder I wonder what's going on with uh Yeah. You know, there's a there's a, a an outside inside, you know, and I don't I I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I I'm I hope that's not the case, you know, because that would mean that, uh, you know, efforts on my part uh, would always be treated as some kind of outside, like UFO, like a phenomenal uh, phenomenon, you know, like kind of like, and that's not the way it should be because I grew up in this scene and I I participated in this scene the best I could. I was young when this scene was was really bubbling, but man, I'm the the, the, uh, songwriter and singer from the Bad Brains. I definitely participated in this scene. And I think that uh, it's it might be happening to me as we speak. You know, uh, I thought that a lot more people would be, uh, you know, out there reaching out and saying, "Hey, what do you got? You got a new record out? That's crazy." Yeah. 
because when fire burn happened, that's what happened, you know? Uh, so it, it just, I don't want to feel like it depends on who I'm, who's playing with me or who I'm playing with, because then that's, that's a whole other thing then, you know, because what is that then? You know, like, not, you know, so it, it's just, it's to be seen. And uh, I'm, I'm dealing with that, man. I'm one, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not ignorant of history. Now, I, I interviewed John Joseph like a year and a half ago, and he was, he roadied with the Bad Brains for a while when he was young, and he was mentioning all these stories of how they would go down there, they'd play a show, it sold out, and then the owners would refuse to pay them because they were black. Did you encounter that when you were with the Bad Brains as well? Fortunately, by that time, uh, relationships with black people were a lot better. Uh, my uh, hip-hop changed that a lot. So when I got to the band, uh, I was the hip hop generation okay. and, and a lot of, uh, yeah, I was the eighties. They were the seventies, a product of the 1970s. I was a product of the 1980s. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. they, things had changed. Blacks and white people didn't really have those animosities anymore. Like they did in the early eighties, although the problems were still needed to be dealt with. It was this movement to get together. So we never experienced any overt racism. And I want to make that clear. I've never on the road. In fact, uh, when I went to Europe and when I went all over the world, it was just always beautiful, uh, beautiful receptions. Uh, I would say that I let uh, the manager handle collecting money uh, to my detriment. But uh, I, so I never I never really experienced any kind of overt racism at all. Uh, everyone treated me really well. Uh, but I did hear about those stories, and that wouldn't have been uncommon. A lot of young people might be looking at this and going, what are they talking about? Maybe they're not. Maybe they know it's out there. Maybe they're like, yo, I know what you're talking about, bro. It's still out there. We just got to pretend it's not. You know what I mean? Maybe you're like that, kids. But if you, if, if you really don't know, then I got to tell you, it was, racism was an issue back then. And being color, like a color that's not white, or not appearing to be of European descent was an issue and you had no respect and you were talked to like a dog. You would talk in, to, and expected to accept the pay of a dog and accepted to ex accept uh, second-class citizenry, although you are a citizen. So this was going on and I'm sure that a, a lot of bands you know, dealt with this and a lot of black people kind of quit rock and roll because of it mm -hmm. you know you had a lot more instrumentalists before the 80s but hip-hop was the solution to that a lot yeah. of people don't know that hip-hop was the solution to that it was yeah. okay if we can't if we're not allowed to play instruments and get in then we're going to invent something that is wholly different and see it all starts with entertaining yourself the blues started with entertaining yourself uh and so hip-hop started with entertaining ourselves yourself and uh i think that was an i think that was a reaction to hey all the instruments have been taken away mm -hmm. or our opportunity to play in clubs or opportunity to be even is taken away and yeah. so we went back to the old music that was recorded. A lot of it was inner city music, what was quote unquote black music, and listened to the old 
old music and said, man, that part right there, man, doom, 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 doom. you know, some, 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 that, that part right there, doom, 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 it's so smooth, ain't it? Yeah, we should go over and over and over and over. They should have made that over and they should have kept going. They should have kept going. And we yeah. said, well, if you get another record, you can make it like that. You can just keep flashing and flashing and flash. And that became something, man. That became a way to make new music. And that is why De La Soul got sued because the big man saw that. And it's like, y'all are creating new music. You're mm -hmm. taking the old records and taking snips and making all new music. Everybody does that today. It's Israel, that's sampling. We yeah. all do that. But there was a time where we had to do that with two records. You couldn't, there was no sampling machine. I remember that. I'm old, yeah. I'm old enough to remember that, yeah. And you had to be real creative and listen to thousands of records. And that's why a lot of us like rock and roll and a lot of us like metal and stuff. Because you, you have to listen to the records to hear what the good parts are. And uh, a lot of us were exposed to Ozzy Osbourne and all these things by that method, man, trying to find beats for our records, man. We were exposed yeah. mm -hmm. to you know, a lot of music, jazz and all that, man. The jazz is where I first discovered jazz, was trying to find hip hop beats. I have a love for jazz music, for classical, for all types of music because of hip hop. And that really was a reaction to that, man. And I can imagine the brain's not having to, having to deal with that. And it must have been horrible. And people don't understand that they dealt with a lot of racism. And this music, this hardcore music is Daryl Jennifer uh, feeling the same thing I would imagine. Now, I'm not, I'm not speaking for Daryl. I'm imagining as an artist, okay? So forgive me, Daryl, out there. But I would imagine that Daryl felt the same thing that Black people feel, felt in the 20th century when they went to church, in the Baptist church, and they started playing those songs, right? And you ever been to a black ba uh, Baptist church, man? Right? I haven't been seen to one, but I definitely know. You've seen the Baptist singing, right? Yes, yes. You know how they get down, right? And you see yes. some raw dog Baptist singing where there's not a whole choir and a whole bunch of clothing and everything. You've seen some raw dog churches, right? Where they dancing around, they jumping. You yeah, see yeah. those kind of Baptists, right? Yep. That's what's going on. Yeah. It's the same place it's coming from. And that beat, if you listen to it, That's a holy beat, man. It's the holy beat. That's in every Baptist. That's also the beat of the ancient East. It's the beat of the horses, man. It's going to battle. That's what that is. And that's I'm got the same. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus. 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 See what I'm saying? It's that same feeling, man. You got to pray that. You got to pray that. That's what rock and roll is. That's what yeah. Sam and Dave said. They said, Sam and Dave are the ancient rock and roll dudes. They said, man, all we are doing is the holy dance from church. Mm -hmm. He said, we get up there and sing, oh, baby, I love you. Oh, baby, I love you. So it's all from baby I love you to and that is what's going on. It started out in that. Yeah. 
and that was pain, man. What I'm trying to get to is that's the pain of a people that feel trapped, that want to say, listen, man, I want to be free. But if they say that, they get killed. So all they can do is play them drums like they want to be free. Do you understand? Yeah. They, all they can do is grab them drumsticks or grab those strings and hit that bass like they want to be free. But they can't say, I want to be free because that means death. They can't say, I want to get out of here. That means death. But they can say, well, I love you or, or uh, you know, but then the bad brains change that. See, that's the genius of Daryl. They actually said it. HR got up and sang lyrics Daryl wrote about being free, man. That's where it is, man. That's what makes them special, bro. Oh, yeah. That's what makes it happen. They, they broke the barrier. And so when you play hardcore, you can't be a person that hates inner city people. You can't be a person that is a racial divider. You can't be a person that is conscious, that's thinking like, oh, uh, somehow this is, uh, uh, it was a mistake somehow that those people came up with it, but the real deal is here. Yeah. You can't mm -hmm. think like that because what you're doing is you're imitating something that is genuinely uh, spiritual. And, and it has to be observed that way. If it's, if it's used and made to sound too clean, then that's one way of doing it, but that's always what happens in the end. Yeah. You know, it goes from sounding like a spiritual storm, like a storm blowing through to, uh, you know, you know, a, 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 a a lawn of grass, you know, mm -hmm. it's like a lawn of freshly cut mowed grass. You can just say, isn't that lawn beautiful? Look at how the hail rolls there and always rolls very perfect, perfectly and it falls into the street like that's wonderful. But see with the other stuff, you don't know what's going on, it's like a forest. And yeah. you walk in that mm -hmm. and like, ah, what's going on there, it's a bear, run! You know, and that's the great part about it, man. I love it. That's why this album is written like that. Cause there's a lot of bears and and, and and things in this album, a lot of the forest in this record. It's not a yeah. lawn. This is yeah. not a lawn. It's not a finely produced lawn. I want to talk about that cover because you said you know it's a concept album, and I know you worked with uh, Paul Stone on that album cover. So how does it express the concept behind the album? Yes, I worked with Paul on this album cover. Paul Stone, he's done various album covers for great bands. It was my pleasure. Uh, I drew this original image, as everyone probably knows by now. But Paul added the fire and the font for the name, and the font for the name of the record. Mm -hmm. uh, the fire we worked on together as an idea. See, his original concept was quite different. But I told, I really wanted to express that the world was overheating, that the planet was overheating, and that the society was overheating, and politics and even our own internal feelings were getting to a point of uh, we're unsure of what the future will be, which is where we stand now. So this is all representing the overheating, uh, but it is also representing the fire that ignites, ignites within. So this is an internal combustion as well. So being that this represents the spirit of people, 
You know, you say the spirit of man, but you can't do that anymore because it's all like women are like, ah, although it's woman and man, but you yeah. know, it's all good. It's supposed to be man, it's supposed to be both, you know, because it's woman, you know, man with the womb. Yeah. And that's man. And there's no difference, you're both man. Uh, but whatever, the spirit of people. And but Paul got the idea and he shot back this image to me. I said, I want fire, I want like. And he shot back this image, and I thought, this is great. Let's go with, let's work on this. And we worked on it and developed it, and it became this. Yeah. And then I also wanted the, the lyrics on the back of the album. I love it. Are there fall songs? Yeah. It doesn't look old school. It looks great. Yes. It's like a real record. Like, you pulled it out, and you're like, what's going on here? And these lyrics are great. So if the lyrics are great, then you're going to take them home because this is the great lyrics, you know what I mean? This is how we bought records in the old days, you know what I mean? You turn it on, we started reading the lyrics, remember? Oh, yeah. At least I would do that. I'd read the lyrics. I'd be like, what? That's true. That's true. Okay, let's take it off. So the lyrics are on the back, and there's also more fire representing the uh, eco ecological changes that are going on, the climate. Uh, in there, if you look carefully, when you buy the album, you will see that this man is in there as well. This image on the front is in there behind the flames representing the phoenix. So it has a lot of meaning. So the album really cover ultimately what Paul and I is the phoenix because we have to have a phoenix moment right now. We have to have a phoenix rising from the ashes moment because if we don't, the planet is melting down. Everything is melting. Everything's shutting down, you know. Mm -hmm. It's shutting down. I don't know if everyone realizes this, but yeah. it's the end. It's uh, Good Night Charlie. We're shutting it down. And But if we can have a phoenix moment here, we can ride through the shutdown. There's always a portal. There's always a portal through the, through the thing that the Noahs survive, you understand? And we got to find the Noahs. But all of us can be Noahs if we're smart. The only reason Noah didn't have more people with him is because they were laughing at him. Mm -hmm. That's figurative. Yeah. And today it's reality. So we all got to stop laughing at this at this concept that the, the climate children brought to us and really take it seriously because it's causing the disruption of the society. Uh, displacement of people. Yeah, well, I was gonna say I can't understand how people can, do not realize how how much it is affecting the planet. I mean, just the other day when we were um, we had that a, a massive wildfire in Canada, it was I walked outside. It was like the apocalypse. The apocalypse. It was orange outside. <laughs> That's just one example. I mean, I mean, every year it gets hotter and hotter. Like you said, all the uh, all the ice caps are melting. The water is rising. They're saying that LA will be underwater. This, I mean, there's so much. There's so much proof that there is, but it, it's these people that make it political, and that's what kills me. There was one example. This was probably back in the early 2000s. Um, some Republican senator comes out or a congressman and says, "See, global or, uh, global warming doesn't exist. Here's a snowball." And, and people are like, yeah, like really? You yeah, they're it's, cynical. Yeah. It's called like, climate oh. change. But yeah, I mean, like, there's, but it shouldn't, it should not be a political thing. It should be a human thing where we're all working together. Like you said, it's reality, it's happening. What are we going to do about it? Instead of like, oh, you must be a Democrat. You believe in global warming. Yeah. Well, you're, they're you're they're vested in the interests. Exactly. They're vested interests. They have, uh, you know, a lot of people who don't believe in this stuff 
you have a lot of tiers of that, right? And mm -hmm. there's people who are just ignorant of it. That's yeah. the bottom level tier. They just really are genuinely ignorant. They work too much. They don't. They don't have knowledge about it. They they don't have enough information, and they don't see it really. They're not paying attention to the weather enough. They're not. Yeah. They don't have enough time to sit and consider. Wow, it's actually hotter this year than it was last year, or it's colder this year than it was last year. Different. They don't. They are seeing weather patterns. They don't get online. Well, you know, they don't check that. Yeah. Okay, so that's one level you'll probably never get to because they'll always be like that. Yeah. Then there's the next level that has vested interests in oil companies. Their families work for the oil company. Family work for a, a coal mining situation. They don't want to see it go away because their families for generations have worked for this shit. So they don't want to see it go away. Then you have the other level who are the operators of these coal mines and gas refineries, and they are making billions of dollars, and they don't want to see it go away either. Yeah. So all these people combined make up for a huge portion of society, and there you have your people. They don't believe it. Now, of course they believe it, and they see it, but they turn away. They turn the, the wink their eye at it turn the blind eye to it, so to speak, yeah. because they have a vested interest. And that's what always is going to cost. Uh, I can go through a lot of situations right now that's affecting the planet in a negative way. But if people don't see food prices and they are unable to tie inflation back to climate change, they can only tie it back to Joe Biden, exactly. then they're lost, right? They're lost. They're, there's no... You got to teach those people from foundation. I'm talking to the people who are already either seeing it and ignoring it, but know it's going on or know it's going on and are ready to talk about it. That's what I'm talking to. We got to get on one accord and uh, find a way out of it. We're never going to get rid of oil and gas completely. And I agree with Joe Biden when he says that it's true yeah. because there are types of machines that will never run uh, on solar power, at least now, mm -hmm. at least with the technology we have now. But what we can do is get rid of a lot of uh, oil and gas. And you know what? It's not even another thing to people listening. It's not even your car or your oil and gas that's the problem. The real biggest contributor to uh, CO2 in the atmosphere is uh, the, the militaries of the earth. And then comes after that is industry. Mm -hmm. So if the biggest contributor is militaries and industry, then why do you think they have you not believing in climate change? Because that means it has to start at the top. It has to start with industry and military and they don't want to change. They don't want, they want the money to go in their pockets. They don't want to put it into, uh, refining their uh, runoff or their exhaust or their uh, need for oil by subs you know substituting it with uh, new technologies that depend on the sun yeah uh, it costs money they would rather put that money in their pocket than spending on spending on r d yeah well, they have a good thing going they don't want to lose that yeah, they have a good gig they don't want to lose that so it's self-interest yeah. And another, another nobody, thing and nobody blames them, but they're telling people not to believe in it. And that's the problem. Yeah. And I think another thing is apathy. And what I mean by that is people like, by the time this affects the world, I'm going to be dead. I don't really care. 
And I get, I hear a lot of people do that too. They're like, well, it's not going to not affecting me. So if it doesn't, some people that if it doesn't affect them personally, it's not a reality. I, yeah. I see a lot of that too. That's a problem too. Some of us think we're going to live, you know, if nobody shoots me dead, I think I'm going to live to two, 300 years old. Tell you the truth. I don't, I don't plan to die anytime soon, bro. I take care of my body. I don't ingest uh, things into my body that I think are going to kill me. I don't eat meat. I live, I live a pretty clean life. But somebody, you know, people get hit by a car, you can get in a car accident. Somebody can, as I said, uh, walk up on you and, and destroy you. Barring any of that, God forbid any of that, I plan to live a long time. I plan to do the experiment. My life has been an experiment Yeah. about if you need to eat meat and how long can you live. I've been conscious of this since I was a kid. I'm still on that experiment. I'm going to be 53 years old next year. And oh, so I'm still on that experiment. And I'm going to see how long I can uh, make this last. And that's the case. And my mentality has to be different than the average man you just described it. Yeah. I have to think about the future. I have to think about my future because I plan to live a long time. Now, if you're not, if you're thinking like the average guy, you said just now, like, hey, well, 100 years, I'm going to be dead. Or 50 years, I'm going to be dead. Uh, then, yeah, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe, I, maybe if I thought that way, I wouldn't care either. But I don't think that way. I don't think about death. I don't dwell on, I'm gonna die. I don't dwell on, this is short term, get it while I can. That's never the person I was. It's never who I was, never who I was comfortable being. I never found that a comfortable state of mind. I always thought uh, that barring no one kills me, I'm gonna live forever. And I know that's not true, but I'm gonna live a long time. Yeah. I'm going to do my best to live a long time. I'm going to live healthy. I'm going to try to do my best. I know what to do. I know what to do. And I'm barring any genetic issues, too. You might have a genetic problem that's any pop somebody. You got cancer because you were meant to get cancer. You know, the DNA. Okay, DNA, yeah. calm down, you know. Barring the yeah. DNA doesn't do anything, and I don't get killed. Hey, man, I'm going to be here 50 years from now. Bro. I'm going to be uh -huh. probably older, but I'm still going to be talking. So, uh, you know, I have to be concerned about 50 years from now. I have to be concerned about 40 years from now. I do. Yeah. I, I do. And I, I think that that's the difference too. So I think, you know, people need to find out, hey, even if you're not going to make it, your kids are going to make it. You got kids? Oh, yeah. You know, that's yeah. how I talk to people like that. That's what I say to those people. You know, I say, hey, look, even if you're not going to go there and you're not going to see uh, you know, 2055, your kid is going to see 2055. And the way things are going now, uh, we can go through all the weather that happened here in the last few years. Everyone's talking about it because it's strange. It's not a hundred year event anymore. It's not yeah. a thousand year event. Anymore. It's happening every year now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what do you think is going to, can you do math? I mean, can you, can you extrapolate? Are you still smart enough to extrapolate? You're still awake enough in society to extrapolate a thought. Extrapolate, what do you think is going to happen 30 years, 40 years if we keep going? What happens when you keep digging a hole? You get deeper. Yeah. And yeah. this is it's like, it's very simple, it's very easy to understand. Your kids are going to face it. Now go home and look at your children and say you don't care. Mm -hmm. that's what I want you to do now 
And if you can't do it, then straighten up and look at me and be honest and let's get it together. Let's get everyone as a humanity and find out what we can do to lower the CO2 levels in the atmosphere, to bring down this thermal heating that's being caused by the sun that's melting everything. And then some people say, hey, Israel, you're out of the argument because it's all uh, hard. It's all being done on purpose to farm for oil, to melt oil. down everything. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Heard that too, that they're doing it since the 70s, that they knew what they would do. They were like, we're going to find oil when we melt everything down. So then we got to convince those guys too that that's a stupid thing because the coastal cities are going to be lost. And they say, oh, we're going to create new coastal cities. Well, it's not that easy. These coastal cities have been around for two, three, four, five thousand years. It took a long time to get them up to where they have to speed here, you know? Yep. And they say, oh, New York's been around not that long, <clears throat> but still, still 200 years. Huh? Yeah. That's why whenever I watch a documentary on something like, say, food or the, the environment, I always see who it was funded by. Because if, say, an example would be like if it's pro what you're saying, like, oh, it's, it's a big conspiracy theory. L let's see who's actually putting the money up behind this. And you realize it's like, you know, Monsanto. I'm just using an example of something like that. It's because uh, then you realize like, yeah, they want to spread this message because like you said before with the other thing, they have a good game. They don't want to lose it. They're making money and they, they don't want to recommend, oh, try this and do this. It's going to be better for you because then they'll be out of business. So I, I like- and That's the same thing with the whole system, brother. Yeah, no, exactly. Doctors, everything, lawyers, judges, the whole system is built. That's one of the I guess, five pillars of sir. That's one of the five. That's one of the pillars. You got to, you know, you can't kill your own business, you know, no matter how evil it is. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. You, I, you're exa saying exactly what I was saying. So, and unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of people that think if they see it on TV or if they hear it on the radio, it's got to be true because somebody said that. I personally like to do just like I know you do. You do tons of research on what you're saying. You know exactly what you're talking about before just blurting out something that you read on scrolling across the bottom of a screen on TV. So unfortunately, a lot of yeah. people do that. Well, they'll, they'll walk from the living room to the kitchen, see a blurb on the bottom, like, and then they act like they're an expert on the subject when like, well, can you explain that? Well, no, but I, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of that, like, you know, um, ignorance, on their own where they really don't want to know anything else they don't really care and then other ignorance where they're just uh being told something and they're like well i guess it must be true there's nothing we could do about it yeah and then you tell them hey you know hitler used that tactic in in nazi germany to fool all the germans and you and they're like look at you glass eyed you know they can't make the connection between hitler and goebbels mm -hmm. using that technique the big lie tell a, a be a politician that is huge and tell a lie and if you lie as a politician the people will believe it why because they don't believe politicians lie to them we have broken that part of their brain uh, and so this yeah. is what they need to understand when donald trump talks to them he is talking to the part of the brain that they broke already in previous generations yeah. and when they that they broke as a kid for that person so by, by the time they hear donald trump they don't understand that they're listening to false information yeah which i they, can't understand. you know no i mean now this time i didn't mean to cut you off but i wanted to add to that because I mean, it's proven how many times he lies. I mean, it's so much, he could basically just 
he could be talking and saying something and they'll have a split screen showing that what he's saying is not true or they, or I never said that and they show him saying it in a split screen mm-hmm. and like, oh, well, that they just, like an example was that whole uh, grab him by the pussy. Oh, well, they uh, they probably doctored the, the audio. I was like, no, they did not doctor the audio. They exactly. did not doctor the audio. He was I totally know. proud of that, all of those things. Just like the statement about injecting bleach. He was totally proud of that statement. Look, Donald Trump is a product of our generations. Yeah. We know Donald Trump. He is Ralph Cramden. Yeah. He is, uh, and he is uh, Cliff from Cheers. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. He is Ralph Cramini's Cliff. And That's he's funny. also Richard Dawson. Okay. Yes. So if you take Ralph Cramden, Richard Dawson, and Cliff with a little bit of family guy, you get Donald Trump. And that's who we're dealing with. We're dealing with an amalgamation of American characters. And he is who they base those characters on. People like him that are totally out of touch and just say whatever they want to say. Well, they've taken those people over history and we've seen different versions. Ralph Cramden played a poor version of him, right? He played in, uh, I mean, I'm not Ralph Cramden, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jackie Gleason played a impoverished version of Donald Trump. Yes. He bus driver. He was a bus driver, but he was still like, you know, he was going to save the world by himself. You know, only I can save it. And in the end, he would always have to say, honey, you were right. Because Jackie Gleason knew that that character is crazy and wrote that in like, I'm I'm nuts. But it endeared you to Jackie because of that. Donald Trump never had the honey, you were right moment. He just kept going and going and going. Now he's and, like to bully people. That's all he likes to do. You can add you can add Archie Bunker to that too. I think. Oh yeah, you can add a little bit of Archie Bunker. But yeah, that's true. You can add a little bit of Archie Bunker. He's he's all the American characters that they tried to show us, and that people after the writers' strike stopped being able to write. You know, in the '90s when the writers went on strike, all of that TV died. Then we had reality TV was born because they had no writers, or at least they claimed it. They just got different writers. They got scabs who couldn't write as well. And the scabs started writing poor TV and they called it reality TV Mm -hmm. because it wasn't that much writing. So you could say whatever you want to, right? They they, they didn't write that much. The old guys who went on strike should have kept their job because they were really showing us our society. But they also got old too. Literally, they got old. The guys who wrote Archie Bunk and all these people uh, got old, man. Um, Norman Lear, you know, he's like almost 100. But yeah. these people were changing our world by showing us the wrongs. And that's why a lot of conservatives didn't like that kind of stuff too, because it was exposing the hypocrisy. But now that that's gone and we got reality TV and they allowed one of those people to walk around on a show called The Apprentice mm-hmm. and be absolutely ignorant, but be empowered and ignorant, that's been destroyed. All the young people know now is, hey, if you're ignorant, you can be empowered. Donald Trump took wrestling from uh, television sports into the business arena. He Mm -hmm. took the movie image of the boss, which never actually happened, into the business room. Mm -hmm. And he put it on national TV. And people suddenly uh, believed it. And, you know, belief is a strong thing. Yeah, well, so, oh, go ahead. 
it affects people in a negative way, man, because it, it shows people that, that being ignorant. My mother used to have an expression, and I'm sure your mother told you this too. Uh, she said, you know, you can't be wrong and strong. It's, it's never going to work if you're wrong. You can't be strong. Yeah. She mm -hmm. said in a rhyme, you can't be wrong and strong. But these days, that's the opposite. Uh, they're trying, or at least they're, they're attempting really hard. They're making them a very hard push that the worst people can be the people who you admire. Yeah. And so you have it in music, you have it in art, you have it in films, and you have it in politics. The whole society is caving in. And uh, I don't know who is going to be these Noahs that we're looking for. You know, who are going to be these people that are going to rise to the level of faith? To continue humanity because well, the rest of it is going down bro you can see it it's going down yeah i hope we find these noahs soon and when i didn't mean to cut you off what i wanted to add to that was i said two things i wanted to add was one is like this was always everything that he says and all the worst things he says was always bubbling underneath the surface and people were afraid to say it because they didn't know what they were afraid of what other people say now they seem proud to to say their ignorance and shout out, well, my president, things like that. I could think like that too. And he gave them a platform. And the other thing I was going to say was, I don't understand. The people that like him the most are the ones he's hurting the most. The people that like him are like the poor. And he even said, he goes, I love the highly uneducated. You can look it up on YouTube. So I yeah, I, I remember that quote. I've posted that. Yeah. Posted I don't know. They love him, but he only is good for the rich. That's all he cares about. And the people yeah. that the rich pretty much hate his guts. But it's just I don't understand. Like I mean, unfortunately, it's a it's a bro. It's mixed up in a lot of races. It is. Yes, and that's what you have to understand. If you don't understand that aspect of it, you'll never get it. They oh, yeah. are waiting for what used to be in the 20th century called the Great White Hope. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Am yeah. I lying? Okay, because they can look at me and say, "Oh, he's just some crazy black dude lying." Nope, the great right. white hope is was a reality in the 20th century. And that is what he represents to them, low key. And so it doesn't matter that he's rich. I, I have to think about it for a long time too to come to these conclusions. It doesn't matter that he's rich or that he's lying or that he is a subhuman as far as his personality, his behavior and his way he looks at life and all of that. They know all of that about him, mm -hmm. but they don't care yeah. because mm -hmm. that is what the great white hope is supposed to act like. That's what Nietzsche described, the horde, the great white herd, blonde herd that comes out of Germany and dominates the world it, without care. That's what Nietzsche wrote about. That's what the Superman is in Nietzsche's writings. Uh, the, the blonde uh, man that doesn't have uh, strapped by religion or any of that, he comes in and he dominates. That is Nietzsche. That's, that's, but then they've taken Nietzsche and crossed it with religion as though Jesus is this man. Jesus will be the blonde man that comes in and doesn't care and destroys and sets everything right. So when you teach ignorant people a mix of Nietzsche and Christianity, you get Donald Trump. Mm. Yeah. That's what's happened. You get, he is our savior. 
is not only the blonde haired, fair haired man from Nordic descent that's coming, he is also what they describe, what the Christianity, not the Bible, describes Jesus as blonde and fair skin. The Bible says Jesus has hair like wool and skin like brass as if it burned in an oven. This is the Bible. Hair like pure wool. That's Daniel chapter seven. Mm -hmm. He has and and his eyes as red as fire and skin as, as brass. Oh, in some translations, bronze. Uh, in the in the book of Revelations, it just Revelation describes the color of his feet as bronze and his hair as wool. So we have a description in Christianity doesn't match the description in the Bible. And so this is a problem. This is a huge issue. And it has to be surmounted. Because if it isn't, we will always get a Donald Trump. We will always get a madhouse version of what it's supposed to be. Because when you mix Nietzsche and Christianity, you get Nazism, you get fascism by default, you get racial superiority. And this is what is going on. And no one will sit there that is educated and say, Israel, you're wrong. The uneducated will say, you don't know what you're talking about. That's all gobbledygook. The educated will say, you're absolutely right. Because yeah. that's mm -hmm. how the society is. That's how it is. It's what they show you in those high learning schools. That's what, you, when you learn the, what they, the controllers did something different than a lot of people when they went to school. They took philosophy. So when you undergo the transformation that philosophy puts you through and it tells you that the only thing that separates you from the animals is intellect. When that is affirmed in your brain, which is the biggest stake that philosophy has at the neck of God, when that is affirmed in your brain, you have two groups of people. One who will think, then we are supposed to be stewards of the earth and we are supposed to love the earth and be the best humans we can be and provide for the animals of earth. And you have another group of people that think, okay, then we are to destroy and dominate the earth because we are the smartest, obviously. The, no one else can make an atomic bomb. And not only are we the smartest, racially, we are the smartest because we Europeans created this. Mm -hmm. So it becomes racism then because apparently within those contexts, Europeans have the highest intellect. That intellect is only being judged by standards of today's society. If you judge it by another society's standards, that's not true. Even today's society, if you judge it by Korean standards, that's not true. But Koreans are influenced by Europeans as Europeans were influenced by Koreans. And all around the world, it's true. But as you start going backwards in history, you realize that Europeans are at the standard of, uh, at the apex that they are because of 
a learning that went on in Germany, a gathering called the Enlightenment. Before this, Europe was living as everyone else in thatched huts under the uh, rulership of stronger nations like Rome, highly uneducated, uh, everything. But after the Enlightenment, things started changing because in 1700s, people started learning about different things that had happened before that too. A lot of things happened before that too for every culture. But to just think that Europe suddenly was because they were born European, they were born with knowledge is wrong. And that's what the, that's what the ethos is in society, that Europeans are somehow smarter than everyone that they're born supreme and it's that way leading in that old type of understanding. Of course, God is white because look at societies of Europe built this world. So it must be that Europe is supreme there. But there leave out the age of enlightenment where the Arabs, even before that, where the Arabs taught Europeans, the Chinese taught Europeans, where Europeans used to go to Africa into Timbuktu to Mali to learn uh, uh, astronomy from the uh, professors in Timbuktu, where they went to Egypt, where they went to India. They leave out all the gathering that Europeans did of the old nations in order to get all the old stuff to put it together. Yeah, You see, mm -hmm. Europeans were the first to put it together. That's what makes the European different, not supreme, not superior. He was the first, because he's the youngest formation of culture 300 years ago, he was able to look back at 3,000 years of culture. You think the Egyptian was able to do that? You think the Indian was able to do that? No, because they didn't live at this time. But in this time when those cultures had fallen away, but those writings, all the gathered information was left. Look, Oppenheimer, Einstein, they all read the Hindu uh, mathematics. Everybody learned from Sanskrit. Everybody learned from ancient uh, mathematics and, and are still learning today. They still call the pyramid a wonder of the world because they're still wondering how that was built, right? So it's a gathering that happened that created this modern uh, ethos of, of people who come from Europe that appear to be in control on a certain level. And that's also because Europeans were fervored by their belief in God and went out into the earth for 200 years and invaded nations and really supposedly took lands, right? Killed people and took lands. And then had 300 years of free labor from Africans. So that's like having a business for 300 years where you never have to pay your workers anything you know you would be the most profitable person on the planet. And you wouldn't also be the most part, you'd be the most educated person on the planet where everyone that was treated unfairly would be at a disadvantage. Then if you free those people and you don't educate them and you keep them at an advantage, you will always be superior, but not because you were born that way, but because destruction happened and, and a gathering happened in order to make you this way. So if you forbid others from that, when you tell them they can't riot or you tell them they can't go to school or 
or or be educated about the past on their own, when you tell them they can only go to your school, then you're doing the wrong thing for people because it's not fair, right? That's yeah. not fair. So this is why there's the, there's the idea that Donald Trump is of, of a superior breed or because they have in, they have instituted that Jesus is white, right? And even though we are in a living in an age today where people are discussing the brownness of Jesus, to most of the people that believe in Donald Trump, they're not discussing that. That's the last thing they're discussing. So we live in an age where Jesus is still uh, some white guy, you know, and that he's going to come back. So Donald Trump is representing all of that to the ignorant. Yeah. And you can't help them because they're ignorant. They don't know. You would have to teach them. You'd have to open the Bible and begin to teach them the Bible. But if they're following Christianity and they're following their religion, despite the fact they think they're following the Bible, they're not. And in their religion, it teaches them that Christ looks like Donald Trump. He's got blonde hair. He's a white guy. And he's going to come back one day and he's going to change everything. And then in walks Donald Trump. Says, hey, I'm here. So they're going to believe in him. Then he goes, and, and you know what I'm talking about because I don't have to mention what I'm speaking of is the evangelical vote. I was just going to say that. That's funny that you said that because I wanted to bring that up. I have no idea why they are for him. They're supposedly they're But I just explained it. Yeah. Well, you know what? You're right. I just explained it, man. Yeah, it just kills Everything me. Everything I just said is what it is. They are waiting for this guy to come. Oh, that is the so evangelicals sad. believe in a Europeanized God that will come and set everything right. And Donald Trump has been that dude since nineteen since the 1980s. Oh. Do you know that Donald Trump has been running for president since 1988? Yeah. No, I that don't he's had his toes dipped in that water since then yeah that I, they've I, always been talking tweets. about him as the president yeah it's it's sad and the only good thing i'm hoping is that i mean he basically represents 30 percent of the people and i'm hoping when he goes and the republicans are so afraid of him i have no idea why the only one that is standing up to him right now that is running is chris christie i don't know why the rest of them they should be just do you think that he would if something happened to if all, everything, all the, uh, you know, all the indictments that are happening to him happened to somebody else that he would say, oh, I can't say anything bad about him. I'm running against him. He would destroy them. So I don't know why they're so afraid of him. They should, mm -hmm. it's, it's pathetic that they're talking about like, oh, if I get in office, maybe I'll pardon him. Like, are you fucking crazy? Bro, they believe in that whole Messiah yeah. thing, bro. Uh, yeah. plus, he's a, plus he's a machete mount. Yeah, he, but, but but they said Jesus is going to be a machete mouth though. Yeah, you know what they said he's going to have a double-edged sword is going to come out of his mouth, but that means the real Messiah that returns is going to talk to you, and it's going to it's going to it's going to even destroy what he's about too. That's what that really means. Yeah, it means that it's going to cut both ways. When he says stuff, you're going to be like, "That's offending God." That's how he's going to talk. Not just offending me. That's that's blasphemy. That's what the double-edged sword means. But they're using that for wickedness, bro. They're doing whatever they want to do. They're holding Bibles upside down. They're talking about racism. They're causing. They're 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 exploiting it, 
And yeah. it's for their own benefit because they don't believe in Jesus. They believe in money. So if they yes. exploit it and turn it on its head, then it can be worthless. They can package it. They can buy it, package it, and sell it for more. That's what the whole Donald Trump's whole end game is probably is. Yeah. Whenever I hear people de say devalue America and buy it up as as uh, his property. Yeah. No, I wanted to add to that because whenever I hear people say, I said, "What can you possibly find redeemable in this guy?" What? Well, when I was when the the economy was up when he was there, I said, "Who?" gives a shit about that and talk about i mean the polarizing of america the, the way he spreads hatred racism he promotes the worst qualities ever in a president and um it, the, the fact and, and that don't well, you know why the, was good and don't you know why the economy was good don't you what? know because he took away all of the protections to the environment yeah that, that will call are called regulations he destroyed all of the protections to your groundwater. He, the reason the economy is, was good is, be, is the same reason that train crashed and spilled all of those chemicals all over the groundwater in those people in that town a few weeks back. And yeah. no one's done anything about it because he gutted the Environmental Protection Agency. He killed the EPA. He killed your protection of your own planet, of your own world, of your water, of your safe air. Donald Trump killed that. And when he killed that, companies agreed to come in and build their factories and build everything they could and hire you. Mm -hmm. But that's why the economy was good, because he was destroying your future. He was hiring you to work, hiring you to work in a dystopian future. Dystopian, it, uh, you have a, a, a morbid uh, outcome to what seems to be a good thing. You guys have to wake up to this kind of activity. This is how they uh, use cultures throughout history. They present it to you as something good. Uh, Nazism was presented as the common good. You see, this is boldfacedly how it was presented. This is for the common good. This is the common man, the common good, the commonality will benefit from this if you all get together as one and 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 unite for evil, for for obviously making people cry. If you're making people cry and you're hurting people, then you know that that's wrong, right? You know you wouldn't do that on your own. You wouldn't just go to someone's house and make them cry and hurt, right? Because it's wrong. It's just not what you want to do for most people. So if, if they're asking you to collect for that, you can't suddenly say it's right then. It's evil. But they're asking you to look past it uh, in, in, that, in that way. So it's still, it's still a problem uh, that uh, Donald Trump is, is or people like the conservatives are promoting because they would like to rule people and get all the resources, all the money, all the benefits for themselves and have people just think of them as gods. Mm -hmm. Well, they've done, they did that for years in different civilizations. Look at history. I think India was the last one that pulled itself out of that thing, right? You know, India is now doing really well, but for a long time, for hundreds of years, the people looked at the leaders as gods and they didn't work. Or a lot of people found it hard to, uh, to, to function.
because they were uh, overly involved in religion and they were not the first people to have that happen to them all throughout history, including the Egyptians, it was like that. That's one of the arguments Jehovah has in the Bible. He says there are too many gods and it keeps you from doing things basically. Serve me and you'll be free. That's the real idea of one God. Not that it's dominant, I want to dominate you. It's, hey man, you're wasting your whole day giving bread to these statues. Just be free. I'm the only God there is. Don't have to waste your whole day. That makes a lot of sense to me. But right now, people are wasting their day on Donald Trump and wasting their day on the gods that they create in their minds, man. Um, and it's, it's a problem because Trump is not a force for unification or making America great. No. He doesn't want to understand that America is diverse. What does he want to do with the 30%, 40% of people here who are of color? What does he want to do with those people? What does he think is going to happen? Is he thinks gonna, we're just going to disappear? Like we're just going to, something's going to happen where we're not going to exist? His idea of make America great is you, uh, you serve the idea that I am, I am the leader. I'm the smartest guy. And all subculture and inner city culture is negative. And only the farmers and the guys who work in factories are positive. And that's and if we enhance these guys, middle class, uh, we're going to make America great. Now, that's 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 denialism in the highest levels, right? That's like, okay, I'm standing in a bank, and there's no one around me online, and I'm just going to walk up to the teller and start talking. And the guy yelling at me, hey, you didn't wait online. Who is that guy? I don't know. He must be crazy. So let's say that's what that is. No one acts like that in real life. In real life, you walk into the bank or the grocery store and you stand online. You observe there are other people here. I'm going to walk down the aisle and not just bang into other carts like they don't exist. There are other people in the store. I'm going to conduct myself with civility. He is asking the entire society not to conduct himself with civility yeah. and, to, and, right, and to ignore that there are people that have other values and other ways of living, especially those city people. Ignore them. And how you're going to make America great by ignoring 30, 40% of your population. I don't know where he's going with that. But again, people aren't smart enough, aren't, aren't sitting and thinking enough, they're not, oh God, it's not that they're not smart enough. Forgive me if I said that in the past. It's not that they're not, it's sitting and thinking enough to understand what I just said. Yeah. How are you going to make America great again when you're ignoring 40% of your population? It's just impossible. They're, they're... No, I was going to say, I hate when also when they think that he's such a tough guy. I said calling people nicknames like uh, Ron DeSanctimonious or Little Nicky Cruz, like, that's not a tough, it's more what somebody just said recently is like, he's more like a petulant child who doesn't get his way and he throws a tantrum to me. And I can't stand also like people that don't take responsibility for their own actions. And he makes excuses, blames everybody. And it's like, you don't want a leader like that. He is not a leader. He, somebody made a great point. He couldn't get a job as a teller, I mean, as a, um, cashier at Ocean State Job Lab for everything he's been arrested for and different things. You, they're going to have him run the country. I just don't understand. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. Great point. But he's a jock. He's a jock. He's a dominant jock, bro. 
you know how jocks are in school, bro. Everybody, they're scared of the jock, you know? You know, look, just think of the psychology of the jock and the people that are that are bound to the jock in school. That's what's going on in this school. Yeah. And except it's racism, you know? It's like a little bit of racism. You bow to the, to the, to the jock that looks like Donald Trump, not the jock that looks like... Barack Obama was a type of jock too, you know? He was a type of jock, but he was a friendly jock. He was more like a friendly in the hallway, like, hey, what's up, man? All right. Yeah. Donald Trump's more like the jock, like, hey, stupid. What's going on, stupid? Hey, do you come to school today? Uh, you know, bop, 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 smack him around a little bit. Ah, it's so funny. You're so funny. Don't hit me, please. Oh, my God. Don't hit me. Ah, you're so funny. You're great. You're great. Ain't that great? Ain't that great? You know that character. We yes, grew up I with do. that character in the 20th century. Unfortunately, we, yes. Right? Right? Oh, you're so funny. Don't, don't hit me. You know, like, that is who Donald Trump is. Yeah. And that's who they all are doing. That act. Oh, you're great. Don't hit me. It's great that you're bonging that guy. Look how you throw him down. It's so funny. You know, like, that's what's going on, man. And he's got a bunch of dudes just patting him on his back. And they're afraid of him because every time they say anything, he goes on and he says, hey, that guy's got little hands. And you know what that means? And it, it destroys him because then it's, he's got to sit at home with that. You know, he's got to sit, you got to walk around town with that. They don't want to deal with that because these guys went to school. They went to Ivy League schools. Yeah. You understand me? They don't know how to deal with this ignorant madman. They yeah. don't know how to come back and be like, well, hey. Guess what? Well, he's the one with little hands, but he tried to put it on uh, yeah. Rubio. But they don't know how to come back and say, hey, well, you got a big head, bro. You know that? Uh, you got a, your head looks like a fucking box of, of fucking, uh, you know, like go off on him. Say something. You know, exactly. you, what are you going shopping with that thing? I mean, come on. Hey, Jughead. Call him Jughead. You know what I mean? That's what the, that's what the streets would do. They would say, all right, Jughead, good for you. And you have everybody laughing at him. But they don't know how to do it because they've been... They've been schooled. They're proper. Yeah. They act. They're proper. They're like trained. They're like we're not supposed to act like this. But that's what how he's getting them. He's scaring them because he he talks faster than them. Even I don't know how to talk like that. I I don't know how to talk like that. You know. I don't. I didn't spend my time berating other people, bro. Exactly. And that's I didn't go live my life berating other people and talking bad about other people. I try to lift people up. I don't know how to berate people. He made a living off of that. And yeah. so he's doing it to America. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and again, I mean, the rest of the world's looking at this like this. They're, they're laughing at us. And I, I talk to other people from other countries that, um, where I work and they'll tell me, they're like, oh, yeah, we, we, we can't believe this is going on. And also, I think the other because thing it's a reflection on us. Yeah, we exactly. The president. Yep. The president doesn't just walk into the Capitol and act like that. That'd be different. They'd be like, oh, those poor Americans. They know we voted for this. They're yeah, like, exactly. what is wrong with you people? Yeah, I know. And then the other thing, too, I said, hey, I think... Pa pause it for just uh, five seconds. Can you hit pause for a second? Yep. All right. The other thing you were saying. No, what I wanted to say was I think besides the fact that you're right, he's a bully. They're actually too intelligent, and the way they were brought up was the right, proper way, so they don't know how to fight back to a bully like that. But also, I think that the other reason is they're so afraid of his base. I don't want to lose these voters. And so, just you That's know another thing. That's the main thing. Yeah, if you're yourself and you go after him, 
the voters will come to you. That's why I think the only one that has the balls right now is Chris Christie. He's just really going after him. And look what I mean. The perfect example, too, is Liz Cheney. People who actually know how Liz Cheney, he, she voted for Trump 93 or 94% of the time. She is the ultimate Republican, their dream. And they got rid of her because she had the nerve to uh, disagree with their God. It's pathetic. It's like well, that's the whole woman is inferior thing. You know, yeah. man is superior, woman is inferior thing. Woman must be submissive to men. And she didn't want to play that role. I admire yeah. her. She was like, forget that role. That's not my role. I'm going to call him out. I love it. And, and, I, and I would actually vote for her. Like if she was running right now in the, in the Republican primary, I'd be like, yes, I want her because she's actually not afraid to be who she is and what she stands for. Yeah, but, but the Republican Party needs to consider who it is. And they need to understand that racism, playing the race card is only going to work uh, to get you elected, but it's not going to work to fix your country. Mm-hmm. Period. You know, it's just going to work to get you elected. Because look, the reason these crazy wackos get into the House of Representatives and the Senate, like Taylor Green and all these people, is because the Electoral College states control a large portion of not just the presidential vote, but the vote who gets into represent uh, people. So the electoral college states are mostly in the South, a lot of them. Now, California has a big electoral college count, but a lot of the Southern states, Southern states are sending electoral college people that are just like the people that started the electoral college in the first place. The electoral college was started when slave owners stop me if I'm lying, slave owners had slaves at the time they were slavery. And simply because these guys wanted more representation, they found a way to to, to create, to, to work the one-fifth clause and to count all of their slaves as one-fifth as a human. So <clears throat> all of those one-fifth will eventually equal to one human, right? Yeah. So five slaves is one human, right? Basically, mathematically. Yeah. So if you have uh, 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 50 slaves, then uh, you have uh, five humans. Is that how it is? Or, no, you have 10 humans. I think that's the mathematics. I'm embarrassing myself by not doing math. Uh, fifth, to write 10 humans. Yeah. And, uh, and so it went. And so these people said, well, I've got, uh, you know, a thousand slaves. That means I have, you know, uh, so many humans and I have more humans than you. And they may not be humans, but amassing all those one fifths makes them more humans than you. And that's where the electoral college was born saying that, well, then I should be the one representing because I have more slaves. Mm-hmm. You understand that's crazy. Yeah. I used to think as a kid, the electoral college was the wise council of America that knew what to do because they really were the ones who studied and like knew what was going on and knew this person's really bad. And although they, I knew, always knew that they were the ones who elected the president. I never, I always knew that. Yeah. Not us, we don't elect the president. They just take our temperature. They stick the needle in our mouth 
or somewhere else and say, how do you feel? Go ahead and vote and tell me how you feel. But our vote doesn't matter. The Constitution says the Electoral College elects the president. And they've already chosen him long before they're taking our temperature. So that vote, that whole presidential election is a distraction. The only thing we elect are the congressmen and the senators and our local leaders. And when you take any test or you take the test to become a citizen, that's what you have to learn. You do not elect the president. That's why they always have us, oh, the president's of a race because they don't want us to elect the Congress people. They don't want us to think about what I'm talking about, the Electoral College. So the Electoral College has been sending these kind of racially minded people to Washington, D.C. So when you get the Tea Party and before them, the uh, Dixiecrats, and after the Tea Party, the MAGAs, and before the Dixiecrats, the actual racist, when you get this stuff going to Washington, that's why. Yeah. Because the Electoral College has been, was designed that way. And so it's not a wise council. It's a way to keep uh, this racial agenda on, on the plate. And, uh, and, and even if it's not overtly that, that's what it is. That's what it amounts to, as they yeah. say. That's yeah. what it amounts to. And so um, that's what's happening. And that's the reason why racism is hard to overcome in this country. That's the reason why we'll always get idiots like uh, these these uh, MAGA people in the place that are not the not the people who are following. I'm not calling them idiots. I'm calling the representatives, right, who went to D.C. with this crap and didn't say, "Hey, people, that's not the way the world works." Yeah, you know what people Americans need to be told, bro. You know, what we as Americans, this is what we need to be told. And I'm going to lay the brass facts, tax, the brass tax, my mother used to say. This is what we need to be told. We do not produce the resources that we need to live as a society here in this country. That's number one. The things that you enjoy, even sugar, we do not make it here. Most of American goods, maybe now it might be changing because I haven't done my research in the last year, two, three years, but for history, most of American goods have come from overseas. We are an importing nation because we have very few or we are refusing to use any natural resources, one or the other. But the deal is we have very few. We don't have bauxite to make uh, aluminum. We don't have cocoa to make, you know, like different, you can go on and on, there's a list. That is the first thing Americans need to understand. We do not produce what we need here. So if you cut the rest of the world off, you'll starve. We will starve, we will starve. Or we will have to do without. We'll have to do without a lot of stuff. The second thing is, you need to understand, is the reason you have that stuff, we, we have it here in America, is because there was a time in the 20th century and the 19th century and the 18th century where we were marauding the entire planet. We were going to countries and taking that stuff and not paying those people. And that happened in the 20th century too. 
We went, we were in nations taking oil, taking gas, taking every resource and not paying for it or paying very little for it. Yeah. And that's why Americans were living on the high horse, people. It is not because there was some blessing or some great God had come and blessed this country and we were all living in freedom and, and high horse. No. It was because there was Americans were in countries taking things from people and bringing it here. And that worked for a while. That worked for a while until the 70s when people began to catch up with education mm -hmm. and technology. And Honda began to produce its own gas-powered engines. And other countries began to produce their own technologies because they got smart. Mm -hmm. And suddenly these countries said, hey, we can't let you take this stuff anymore for free. We need it now. And so Americans cannot, and plus we decided that being constantly at war is not what Americans wanted. We didn't want American soldiers to die anymore in the 20th century, remember? We didn't want any more bodies coming home. Remember? No more body bags. Remember? Remember we used to chant that? Okay. Oh, yeah. We took people out of those nations that we were taking those resources from. We removed them. That's why things have changed. That's why America is not up here anymore and the world is down here. You have to understand, we're dominating people. Yeah. So we're down a little bit. But it will never be under anyone. Because there are two things. America is a dominant military. And America is the default currency of the planet. Mm -hmm. You cannot rise above it because it is gold. There is no more gold. And plus, there's not enough gold on the planet to feed everyone. You can't put gold in everyone's pocket. That's impossible. The dollar solved that problem. That's what's going on. So we were here by stealing. Now we're here because we're trying to equalize the playing field to give these guys a little bit to play with. If you're always here, these guys have nothing to play with. You're always dominating them. You're destroying them. And then the resources get destroyed too. So if you wheel it back down a little bit and give these guys some gold on the market in India and China and make the BRICS nation and all, then they have more to play with. Like Vegas, the guys ain't got nothing to play with. The house is done. You got to give people something to play with. This is what's happening, America. Yeah. It's not falling apart. It's not being destroyed. We're not losing. We're not. America's gonna be just all that Donald Trump crap is crap. He knows what's going on too. Mm -hmm. Giving people something to play with, so the play feels because we can't militarily dominate them for their resources anymore. Just can't. People don't want to do that anymore too. Militaries don't even want to do that. People have grown with their hearts. They're like, oh, dude, it's wrong to do that. Yeah. And so we're not doing that anymore. And so, of course, we're going to have less. Of course, things are not going to be made in America because America wants to work for, you, you forget want. In order to live in America, you have to work for $25 an hour. You cannot make a pot spoon for $25 an hour. The pot spoon will cost $14 to buy it. Mm -hmm. No, it will cost $30 because you have to pay the worker. Yeah. 
The pot spoon will cost $40 if you pay someone $25 an hour to make. This is why it's being made overseas, America, because we can no longer steal the resources. We have to pay people to make it. We don't have it. So we have to pay them. And they are willing to work for one American dollar, two American dollars, because with two American dollars, they can rent an apartment. Yeah. Well, I went with two American dollars, we can't rent anything. So we have to understand this is what's happening. Well, I was going to say, I went to Romania years ago and I was talking to, uh, there was a, I was on a, t- a Dracula tour, but one was the historical aspect with Vlad the Impaler and the other one was the Dracula or, you know, the Bram Stoker horror movie. So I was talking to somebody and a girl from Canada, and we were talking about the economy. This was back in 2005 and somebody from Romania goes, oh, the economy's not that good. I said, no, it really isn't that good right now. And he goes, I said, why, how much do you make? He goes, $5. I said, what, $5 an hour? He goes, no, I make $5 a day. I said, you know what? I am going to stop complaining about everything right now. That's why I love that quote by uh, Mark Twain, travel is fatal to prejudice. And it's so true. So people actually went out of their own backyard and saw how other people are living. They'd realize how good they have it. And the other thing I wanted to add to Man, they talk about the ghettos. They talk about the ghettos over here. If you've ever been to Europe, man, you've seen some of those European ghettos, especially the ones that existed in the 20th century. You would think these places were some of them were paradise. Some of those European ghettos, especially Eastern, like yo, it was not easy, man. Not easy. I mean, that's where the ghettos started, man. That's where they started. And those yeah. ghettos are older than the ones in Manhattan. And you go there, it's like that's rough, that's hardcore. You know, that's like wow. So yeah, man, it's where you open you travel, you see, you see, it's not not race, it's people. It's not race. You put people in a certain condition, they're gonna live raw dog, they're gonna live like as close, you're going to live worse than animals because animals don't live like people when people get bad. People get bad and live worse than animals. They, there's nothing to describe them. An animal does not live like that, right? So people live like the worst expressions of human beings when you put them in a bad, bad place. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to add to, to what you were saying was, I, used to, I tell people all the time, I said, to, to a lot of the other countries in the world, we are bullies like we're going over there telling you you can't have this but we can do whatever we want we can have a nuclear bomb you can't have this oh we're going to go in there we're going to take out your imagine if some other country came over and said all right well we don't like this leader we're going to take him out and put our own leader in there it's just that it, it's yeah we, we come now you're you're solidifying everything i've been saying and i didn't know the the extreme history that you're telling me about they just went in there and i definitely had a feeling that was going on and you just you know, told me that it it was, and it's just they're going in there and saying, "Yep, that's ours. We'll take this." You know, and you can't really. Yeah, that's what, we have that's a better what used to happen. Yep. That's what used to happen, and it's still happening to a extent, but it's not as bad. And that's why the economy is going down a little bit. And people need to understand that they need to understand. Look, if you want to live like America, Donald Trump wants to make America great, like he, it used to be, like how it used to be. Then we need to. Then, then that means going to war again. It means going to war and dominating, having a, a third world war, man. That's what it means. Because the reason we were able to dominate all these nations, we didn't just walk up into these nations and start robbing. That would have been impossible. We won a world war. Mm-hmm. And we were able to we're going to put all the nations back together. And that's why we were getting resources for free. But those days are over. 
So yeah. what is Donald Trump trying to say? Let's have a third world war. That's what he wants, right? That's what he yeah. looks like, what he wants. And that would mean he has faith in America. He's betting the American military will win. And then he's betting all the resources will be free again. And this is a mad man's plan. We cannot go through another world war in order for America to dominate everybody again to take all the resources, which is what they're basically saying. If we follow this whole train of thought we're speaking on right now, this is what it's going to end up doing. Let's create a third world war so we can dominate like we did in the 20th century. And this is not smart. No. Uh, it is not smart because you leave Americans in a very bad position, um, at least when you were when Americans were dominating the 20th century, Americans were still connected to Christianity and education, right? Now, when you have that type of situation, people are too wild, man. They're crazy. What, what, what really, how are we going to have any society if we just tell people they can do what, you know, just, um, you know, that it's okay to uh, dominate people and, and, and take, how are you going to have, because what I was meaning to say was that if you have a semblance of Christianity and stuff like this, at least you can think, they used to, Americans used to feel like, well, that's the government doing that. You can do that on a personal level, you know what I mean? That's like big government wars and all about that stuff. But now it's like, yeah, on a personal level, we could do this to others. And it's okay to do it because Donald Trump's doing it. Yeah. And if he can do it, he's like the, the, trendsetter it's it's just really bad man it that whole scene is doesn't understand it but it's rooted in a lot of its bigotry uh a lot of its fear and a lot of it's just plain out ignorance about how the world works and the history of the world yeah and, that, and that's 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 a bad thing and if you tell people that they'll say well so what <laughs> what are you going to do about it? I'm going to go vote for Donald Trump. And then what are you going to say to that? You can't, you can't yell them down. You just, we just have to hope that people wake up as people generations before me have said, you just got to hope people wake up man. because you can't educate them. They'll hate you more for it. people who hear the things I said today. Some people will not listen to the philosophy. They will not, they will not, they will only hear white, black, white, black, white, black. He's a racist, white, black. He's talking about white people, white, he's Europe, Europe. What's he, what's he talking about? European descendants. That's all they will hear. And I know it, but I don't care. I've never cared. Yeah. Because my intentions are not that. They, if, they, if they only listen, they'll see it's not that. It's a holistic view, just talking about history. And I have to include who we are as people. I can't say, hey, the aliens, you know, the Martians. I'm not talking about the Martians. I'm talking about Europe. I'm talking about Africa. I'm talking about where we live right here and what happened to these nations. You can't tell me I'm a racist by saying that. Yeah. But that's what people like Donald Trump would love to say about me. He would say, oh, he's just a, he's a bigot and all he thinks is in black and white. But he's the one who performs the actions of dividing the society into black and white uh, by certain means. Yeah. Well, he's just like, I'm bringing this up because I think it proves what you're saying. Um, I saw an interview years ago. Phil Donahue was on Bill O'Reilly's show. And Phil's, Phil was making these points 
that were very, very true. Just it was all by I forgot who was in office. I think it was George W. Bush. Eight, yeah, George W. Bush was in office, and and he's making these. And so Bill Riley's screaming, yelling, very calmly. He goes, "Just because you're loud, Bill, doesn't mean doesn't mean you're right." And I love that because the people that don't have any education behind them or don't have any thoughts of their own will just scream and yell and they'll say shut up get out of here or they'll walk out because they have nothing to back up what they're saying so i, I love the fact that like i'm talking to you so calmly you have everything that you're saying to back up we've talked for three hours right now and yeah. you definitely know what you're talking about and so education is the key when it comes to that because most of these people that do like that have like you just said they're not going to believe what you're saying. They really don't want to learn what you're what you're saying. And what they heard, it's got to be a truth. And there's nothing, it can never and be And there's changed. nothing else. And that's part of, uh, I hate to say it, that's part of white supremacy as well. That's part of any supreme culture that thinks it's supremacy. The Egyptians probably had this happen with them as well, too. If you're Egyptian, you're right. How yeah. could it be wrong? I mean, how could Donald Trump be wrong? Ultimately, he is in charge because white supremacy tells them this information. It tells them he must be right by default. As I said, it's not just white supremacy. It's been this way throughout the Babylonians had this, you know, he's Babylonian. He's, he's one of the sons of the, the royals. He must be right. He's one of the kings. He must be right. You know, this has happened throughout history. So they don't want to hear what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying takes a little bit of thought to sit down and really think it over. And another part of supremacy is thinking is wrong. They teach you that. They yeah. teach you that by, uh, you know, by default. If you think, uh, if you think that this is wrong, you are wrong. If you think that this is right, you are wrong. Just go along with it. And this is the condition that they're asking to get under that don't think at all the uneducated is the best you just go along with what we say if we say the sky is blue if you say the sky is green uh you can we're going to argue that it's green and we're going to believe that and that's what we believe and they're willing to accept that because christianity is that way mm -hmm. uh it, it, it's it's what the church believes even if you say hey what you're believing is different from the bible even if that's not your argument, the argument can still be made that what their particular church in this town is different, believes is different than what the particular church in this town believes and what the particular church back here in this town believes. All three of them believe different things and they're teaching a different lifestyle and a way of, of approaching things that are totally not biblical but this is what they believe. So if you go to this guy in this church and say, hey, man, this is not biblical, you can fight him on two fronts. It's not biblical. And it's not what these two other churches are saying either. But he'll still say, but that's what I believe. Yeah. So get out of here. And this is, and this is, this is very disruptive because you can't really uh, tell people what not to believe. You can't get in. You can, you can hit them with the facts all day. You can say, hey, the reason the economy is thrown off is because climate change is displacing people and people can't make the goods you're used to getting. And because we're not invading and taking things anymore like we used to in the 20th century. And because Donald Trump put a value added tax on goods coming in from China. And what does a value added tax mean? It means that Chinese 
suppliers have to now pay Americans to bring goods here. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. It means that when they get their ports, they now have to pay enormous money to bring their goods to the shores. And he sold that to Americans as a good thing that the China, China, China is taking our, our money and our jobs and making, we're going to take it back by giving them the value out of tax. And all these stupid people, excuse me, all of these uh, MAGA people said, oh, that's great. But what event, what, what happens, what happens to you if you tell a guy, hey, I want you to deliver to my house. Of course, I want you to deliver my house. But wait, wait a minute. But you want to deliver boxes to my house. I want that. But every time you deliver a box to my house, you need to pay me $5. What do you think is going to happen, Rich? You're not going to get that package. <laughs> okay. So if you and I, as average guys, could sit here and think about that, what do you think happened on the world stage when Donald Trump said, hey, you want to deliver those packages? Well, you got to pay the value out of tax. Now you got to pay millions, yeah. thousands, hundreds of thousands. What do you think happened then? Yeah. We're not getting that package. And that's why there's no more 99 cent store. That's why you go to Home Depot and there's two, three choices and they're all plastic and they're all messed up and they don't yeah. work and nothing fits together anymore because he destroyed. So you got to tell these MAGA people, look, your man is destroying the world for you and he's telling you to blame other people. He's the exactly. one who did it. So yeah, it's it's a big thing that they, they have to think and thinking is not uh, not not easy. Oh, yeah, now Pause for a second, bro. You're going to have to edit this. All right. Two edits. <laughs> yeah, not, no, but not too bad. Not two edits in three hours is not a bad deal. Unfortunately, okay. I'm, I have to get up early, so I'm gonna have to go soon. But I'm loving this conversation, and I want to continue this. So, you know what? I mean, if I would love to get you know do a part two, actually part five with you sometime. Anytime, anytime, Rich. It's always the reason we talk this long is because you're a smart guy. Thank you. I appreciate and that. And I you are you know, a smart guy and you have a lot to say and you, you ask the right questions and you lead right leading questions. It's a great interview. And that's why I spent three hours with you. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a mutual respect for you. But before we go for this edition of uh, my interview with Israel Joseph, let's one more time plug my, my new favorite album. Let's do it. We got a lot in about this. This album uh, is a new album by myself. Uh, check it out. It's got some of the best hardcore, put it this way, some of the best music I think around today because it's of the reality that it represents. It's got great sounds. It's a great looking record. Right now you can only get it through me. You gotta go online, Facebook, Instagram, and you message me directly and I'll send you a copy of this album. It's a really beautiful record. 160 gram vinyl, feels good in the hand. It's got some great packaging and there's only a few of them made. So uh, you're talking about a rare record. It's not many of these, there's not thousands of them, you know, there's only a few hundred of these albums. So get it while you can. It's totally DIY. There is no uh, corporate funding behind Meltdown. There's no, no corporate money. No influence. This is made by me. And I'm really proud of it. It's it's here. It used to be just digital, but now it's 
it's to be passed on to generations. It's got a lot of life and it's a great record. And I hope you guys would call me. Uh, I'm sorry, direct message me. You can call me if you want, it's fine. You direct message me on uh, Facebook or message or uh, Instagram and order your copy. I mail them, I put them in a box, I address them to you and I mail them off. They usually get there in four days. It's a great system and you're buying directly from the artist. And I can autograph it for you too, actually. I think they're gonna be worth something. I don't know why, but I think that in the future, these albums will be worth a lot more than people pay for them when they get autographed, uh, simply because, you know, I try to live my life in a true way. And I think people are gonna remember that. So buy it for your family, buy it for your future, buy it to listen to, because yeah. Meltdown is a fantastic album. And I love it. You know what? I couldn't have said it better myself. I love the album. And what I'm going to do is after this interview is over, I'm going to message you. I want my own autographed copy. I've listened yeah. to it. I have it, but I want an autographed copy from Israel Joseph. So you got it. You got All it, right. my brother. You got it, my brother. I'd be happy to send you one. And I, and I, as I said, it's a contribution to the artist. Oh, but yeah. I really think there's only a hundred of those, you know, and I only got 40 of those left. I only signed the red and black ones. You know what? We'll I make that 39. One's going to me. I said, oh, that's the key. I said, make that 39. One's going to me. That's great. I'm happy about that. That's great. Right. Thank Israel, you. Israel, like I said, I could go on it. We could probably talk for another five hours, and I would be just as riveted to the screen because I, I'm, I'm enjoying this so much. I will be in touch with you soon, too. I want to schedule a part five. And, but, you know, I'm going to make you the new co host of the show. <laughs> just me and you. Ah! <laughs> great. Awesome. I'll, I'll chime in anytime you want, Rich. It's always a great pleasure being with you and talking about uh, music. Guys, please go out and buy the album. It's out there and listen to Rich's show when you can. It's a great podcast. He's a smart guy. Guy knows what he's talking about. And I always enjoy being on. I look forward to seeing you guys again. All right. Thank you very much. We will talk soon. And that wraps up the latest episode of The Claws Corner. A huge thanks goes out to singer, songwriter, arranger, performer, mixer, producer, and the founder and dean of Seminaria University, Israel Joseph, for taking time out of his extremely busy schedule to be back on the show, and he will be back yet again. Another huge thanks goes out to editor extraordinaire John Bristol of Emily Productions for always doing a superb job editing the show and making it available to all. I am also extremely grateful to Joseph Timothy Quirk and Rob Bull for all they do to make the show available on several Connecticut radio stations, as well as Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Audible, and iHeartRadio. Thank you both very much. And lastly, but definitely not least, I need to thank you, the viewer, for always tuning in. Enjoy your day, everyone. Mm -hmm.